Welcome back. It's another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats with Katie and Izzy. And, uh... You look like you were, like, on a scratch board. <laughs> I need to do that with my set, because I have a table. So I should... It would sound terrible, because I still don't know how to scratch properly. But, like, it'd be funny. <laughs> Anyways, welcome back. Um, we've got a long one for you, but it's totally worth it and really fun. And a classic, so... And I'm Izzy, and that's Katie. I don't yep. know if you said that or if I. Know I did. It's soon. okay. <laughs> I don't know. So for today's episode, we are doing Halloween one and two, the originals. So that being said, this is going to be a long as hell episode. Yep, we warn you now, but it's worth it. Lots of notes, lots and lots. <laughs> And, and lots, I'm still scrolling, guys. I lots of notes. Might and have we're there. started preparing this weeks ago and <laughs> just couldn't stop. So, plus it's an older movie and it's a major film. So there's a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. no, it's, it's huge. So there's a lot to get into. And I have such a hard time finding, like, where to draw the line of what we should say, what we shouldn't, like, what's, what do people want to hear? What's, what's too much and what's not and, enough? <laughs> exactly, because I'm like, it's on the internet, everyone should know it. <laughs> or, like, it's not on the internet, therefore I must say it. So. Therefore, most people, people must know. Yeah, I struggle. It's okay. So. Halloween 1 and 2. There are technically 11 movies in this franchise, plus two that are still coming out um, because they're being slightly rebuilt. But there's also a ton of shorts and things inspired by Halloween and Michael Myers. I know you know what the fuck we're talking about because he's everywhere, no matter what. I have him tattooed on the back of my arm. He's been always been one of my favorites. Um, I'll be honest, I had never watched the movies, really. I watched... The like prequel one that came out not too long ago, um, the 2007 one with Rob Zombie. I don't know, whatever oh, one okay. where it shows him like as like like the murder that's in it is the one where he murders his sister. Like that's the whole movie. Um, but I did not watch the originals ever. Um, oh, so, so this was my first time. This is actually one of the very first like original slashes that I ever watched. Um, because it was on TV and. We're so desensitized to certain things nowadays that, like, it didn't scare me because there wasn't a lot of gore. He was just walking. So I I watched this every Halloween when it was, like, 30, the 31, 31 Days of Halloween and stuff like that that they did on TV that we would sit and watch all fucking month. <laughs> it is often considered, like, the original slasher film. Um, yes. I mean, Psycho was it, but that one didn't have, like, a featured serial killery kind of a vibe um, right so this yeah. is like the main with a with a full character of a slasher based on him and like things like that so um like we said there are 11 movies they are split up into different like <laughs> different pieces because originally it's not supposed to be what it was um but michael myers was too popular at the time yeah and then as you said they are coming out with a new one this year mm -hmm. and a new one next year so and like... they just came out with another one in 2018. So these, these, those three technically all fold in with the very first one ever created because it's John Carpenter coming back. So I know the 2018 one is Blumhouse. Is that mm -hmm. the same for the kills, Halloween kills and Halloween I events? hope so. I, I personally hope so. I'm not exactly sure. But Blumhouse does such great work in the horror industry. It's such a well-known um, <clears throat> production company. 
I I'm hoping they, it is. They don't stamp stuff with their name unless it's good. <laughs> yeah, no, pretty much. <laughs> um, so I'm pretty sure they are, especially since John Carpenter is a really big producer in both of those, and he's the original creator of Michael Myers. Um, so I can only assume, but again, we'll find out more when they come out. I refuse to watch the trailer of the new one. Um, Halloween Kills is out. The trailer is out because it's coming out in October. Um, I refuse to watch the trailer. I've heard way too many people die in it, and you see it, and I'm just like, well, that just kills the purpose of trailer, so I'm not going to watch this movie. I want to be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I don't typically watch trailers anyways. Um, they ruin movies. They, they, give you, they give away the entire movie in a matter of, like, two minutes. I find that they can also just be very misleading, so I, like, go into a movie with expectations, and then I would see the movie, and I'm like, that is not at all what I thought it was going to be. Like, The Hunt. You know, yeah. I just watched that. It's on HBO. And I had no idea any second what was going to happen in that movie. And that was not at all what I was expecting. Because I have seen the trailer for that because it like pops up on ads when I'm watching other shows. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's like 10 different actors in there that are huge. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember them from the trailer. They're going to be big in this movie. And they all die within. Oh, uh, spoiler alert, they all die within like the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? Like, where is this going? Right. I'll have to watch it. You said it's on HBO? It is. It's on HBO yeah, Max. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it tonight. It's so good. It... In the new Fast and Furious 9, there's a whole like seven minute clip of like the intro to Jurassic World. And I don't know why it's a part of Fast and Furious, but I won't watch that seven minutes of Jurassic World world because i'm not gonna ruin that for me we all know i'm obsessed with dinosaurs i don't like to ruin and spoil movies for me when i have a lot of like high hopes for them going into it <laughs> i love the clips at the end of movies like especially for the marvel ones like made it huge well, and like the marvel ones i understand because those ones like they're not actually like pieces of the movie this is like the actual like seven first like first seven minutes of the movie or something oh so it's like when you get to the end of the book and it's like here's the first chapter to the next book <laughs> yeah exactly mm-hmm. um but it's really random that it's at the end of fast nine <laughs> i mean right. that would be like watching parts of the caribbean which is to me like the first ones that did those clips mm-hmm. and seeing orlando like a seven minute clip of orlando bloom is like a less like it makes no sense <laughs> but at hilarious. least at least it's Orlando Bloom, I guess. There's a connection there. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty. <laughs> the movies don't make sense. Unless they're gonna combine Fast and Furious and Jurassic World. Like, oh my gosh, could you imagine? <laughs> Honestly, like I would die. Those are two of my favorite things. Like they could be stealing the original DNA. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> Let's you know make this easy. <laughs> I'm gonna redirect this. Um It'll be the Some best movie ever. Cool transition from dinosaurs and cars into Halloween. You know um, what? In Halloween, they drove cars. So there, there we go. <laughs> it's a stretch, but it works. I was going to say people dress up like dinosaurs, but. So Halloween was made in 1978. <laughs> Nailed it. Good transition. <laughs> Thanks. I was like, I'm just going to cut it. Um, Speaking of HBO, Halloween's not on there. <laughs> it's not. It's not. But uh, you can find it on Shutter. At no, least you the can't. first. I don't oh, think you, you can can't find, find the first, first one. one. Never mind. Unless I it's own the... it. I don't know. So people are really annoyed because of the eleven movies on Halloween. Like they're none all of... broken up. Yeah, none of them are on the same streaming service. And I know it's because different people have funded it through different production companies and all that jazz. Um, but get your <laughs> shit together. Just say they're all the same thing and put them on one streaming service. And all that jazz. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it on Roku, uh, which it was free. It had like the occasional 10 second ad, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. 
um, unbearable. Bad. Yeah. Okay. And this movie, as I've said, I like when movies kind of relay what's going on real world. It mm-hmm. did come out during the rise of prolific serial killers like Some of Sam, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, The Hillside Strangler. All those not Richard so fun Ramirez. <laughs> well, that was in the 80s, actually. But nevertheless. The 70s. Yeah. So uh, that movie, I don't know if that like really inspired them doing this. Um, I'm sure that it played a part because they were oh, like, I can, uh, yeah. what are people afraid of? So. Oh, there's a lot of serial killers going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> so as I said before, this movie is directed by John Carpenter, who is a marvelous, well-known director out there. And he, uh, beside, besides Halloween, he's best, he's best and well-known for um, his horror and science fiction movies, which include The Fog in 1980 and The Thing in 1982. Not and, to be confused with the blob, which is what no. I did. <laughs> which is just the blob. It's just a blob that basically eats everything. It's kind of like, it's like a gelatinous cube. <laughs> it's like a blobby on uh, Hotel Transylvania, which Connor yeah. <laughs> says is his imaginary friend. And so whenever we play, or like whenever we jinx him, he starts talking and I'm like, oh, you're cursed. And he's like, no, blobby said my name. <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> That's um. But he's also, he's he's well known for doing a lot of other movies. Uh, he's done Escape from L.A., Village of the Damned, which is a pretty damn good movie, not going to lie. Um, he did memory, um, Memoirs of an Invis- Invisible Man. I can speak, guys, I swear. <laughs> uh, Big Trouble in Little China, which is a pretty fun movie, I think. Um, like we said earlier, The Thing, The Fog. He did Christine and Halloween. And he's done a bunch of other stuff and you know, Sorcerer from Outer Space, which is a short. Sounds interesting. He's had 22 wins and 24 nominations for awards, and um, most of his wins are actually in his movie scores, which are, um, I mean, if you've seen his movies, they're pretty great. He does have a key for, like, the right tunes and music that's needed. He is one of those people who's just generally, like, artistic and good at what he does, because he can direct, he likes to do the music, um, he could do just all the roles. And he yeah. actually was in a band like just before this movie came out, I guess, like mid seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's in English, it's the Coupe de Villes, but if it's en français, <laughs> c'est Coupe de Ville, uh, mm-hmm. which included future directors Tommy Lee Wallace, who directed Halloween Three: Season of the Witch, and you know took part in One and Two to help out, mm. I guess. Um, and Nick Castle, who has writing credits for August Rush and the Robin Williams version of Hook. Best Peter Pan version of IP. For real. Uh, Wonderful man. He also has acting credits in most of the Halloween movies um, because we'll talk about it later, but he is part of the ship. Yes. Uh, But yeah, they just like randomly had a band together. I don't know. I don't know where they went. You know, I bet it created a great history for their movie filming. (laughs) I'm sure they had tons of fun filming together because. Oh, Oh, I bet. Yeah. So many of Carpenter's films include what he calls the cheap scare, which is where something comes into view really fast and then leaves just as quickly. Um, Everything I said I didn't like in Conjuring 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's less... And it's also intensified, intensified by the music, yeah. so... It's less obvious in Halloween, though. But like I think that's because we're desensitized. We have been desensitized to so many things that were so scary back in like the 1970s and stuff like that compared to what we have now what we grew up with that those cheap scares weren't that scary it was just like oh he's he's there <laughs> well, and i was i was trying to think 
where something pops out in this movie. And the only part that I could come up with is when, at like the very beginning, when the nurse is in the car at the insane asylum, and Mm -hmm. he like sticks his hand through the window or breaks the window or something. Like that Mm -hmm. was the only real like jump scare that I could think of. Yeah. But I'm sure it's really prevalent in most of his other movies. I don't think Halloween is supposed to be a jump scare movie. It's supposed to be like a slow, ominous creep. By the way, if you're hearing all that rubbing on the microphone, that would be Kitty rubbing up on the microphone. Oh, I'm sorry. I forget that they do that. <laughs> it's okay. Um, you know, we warn you about cats being in this. There, There's not any cats that we see in Halloween, but there's definitely cats um, with Izzy right now. My cats are locked outside of my room. For now. He also, John Carpenter, has acting credits in a lot of his movies because he does like a Stan Lee appearance in some of them. I don't know who or what he did for Halloween or if he did that in Halloween. What are you doing, cat? <laughs> Get away. Okay. And a lot of his films, in addition to the cheap scare, um, have inspirations from other movies and characters that he likes. He likes to reuse names. And he really enjoyed westerns and Alfred Hitchcock movies. And so he pulls a lot of that into his movies. So he likes to do a lot of those like throwback Easter egg kind of a things that we all love to look for nowadays. Mm-hmm. Well, and like even in um, even in Halloween, Donald Pleasant's na- character's name is Samuel Loomis. And that's also the name uh, of Janet Lee's boyfriend in Psycho in the 19 in 1960. So he yeah he likes to reuse names you see it right here in halloween for you and samuel sam loomis um he's more seen in the he's he is a big character but he's more frequently seen there we go that's what i was looking for uh in halloween four through six i believe so i haven't seen those ones but he's basically all of the dialogue in the second movie when you think about it he's like the only one who really talks (laughs) Well, let's, let's think about how many people talk in that movie in the first place. And let's think about Michael Myers. He doesn't say shit. So. At least his lines were easy. And John Carpenter also has the writing credits for this movie. And so mm. he is attributed to creation of the characters and everything and all the following Halloween movies. And he co-wrote it with his girlfriend at the time, I think, uh, named Deborah Hill, who also wrote The Fog and Halloween 2 with him. So let's get into the cast. Of course, there is Michael Myers, who originally they say was age 23, but they later on fix it, and he is 21 years of age, that you find out. (laughs) Yeah, the first time I was watching this movie, I was like, why does it say he's 23? Because I was like trying to do the math. I was like, okay, so if he killed him when he was this age, and then Dr. Loomis is like, I saw him for this many years, and I was like, that's 21. And my husband was like, okay, but what... What age did he get? And I was like, no, I did the math. It's 21. <laughs> and then in the second movie, they fix it. They have. Well, your Loomis, math was right. Yeah, they have Loomis specifically say 21. And I was like, people must have ragged him. Mm. So there are many different players to Michael Myers. <laughs> Here's the thing. He doesn't. He's not normally seen in his actual four, like his actual like person. And he doesn't speak. So Tony Moran plays him when they pull the mask off of Michael Myers. But Nick Castle, so normally Nick Castle provided the body, so that's what you see as, like, the shape. Um, he was used in Halloween 2 a lot, and he's also back for the 2008 remake, 
and um, both of the new ones that are going to be coming out in the future. The 2008 or 2018? I meant 2018. Okay. I'm sorry. Did I say eight? Yeah. <laughs> 2018. But then Tommy Lee Wallace played Michael Myers in the original Halloween, especially during the famous closet scene opposite of Jamie Lee Curtis. This is where um, you see him like breaking through the closet door. And even Deborah Hill, who is credited for being part of the writer for writing for this, uh, she even played his hand pulling the knife out of the kitchen drawer um, when nobody else was immediately available. So I just imagine them being like, guys, we got to get the scene done like right now. Who wants to be Michael Myers? <laughs> and she was just like, I'll do it. <laughs> the magic of the mask is you just never know. And I exactly. guess the thinking behind like all those different characters, um, Nick Castle just had the right build but not the mm -hmm. right face. Tony Moran had like this angelic face that uh, Carpenter wanted. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tommy Lee Wallace just had the experience and background in... Uh, like stunts. Yeah, stunts. So he could mm -hmm. break through that closet. I'm not sure why like a cheap closet like that needed a whole bunch of experience. But... Yeah, I could break through one of those closets really fast. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure many children have like accidentally broken their closet that looked oh, like 100%. that. Oh, 100%. Um, but, you know, whatever. It's fine. And then, like you said, Deborah Hill was. They were just like, um, "It's lunch break, but we need to get this shot." So, and little got a hand. Little Debbie was like, <laughs> "Hey, you know, I probably would have too, because that's still cool to be like, that's my hand." I oh yeah, I would have. I would have been like, um, "Can I like wear the boots and just walk across?" Like, I don't, I don't know anything. Uh, Lori Strode. <laughs> I can just imagine, like, like the boots being way too big for you. I'm just, like, like you're trying to walk. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyways. Uh, Lori Strode played, like, a child when they try on your shoes. <laughs> and they're, like, clomping. <laughs> that would be me. Not that I have, like, tiny feet, but they and were he's probably supposed to be, like, super. Feet. And he's supposed to be, like, super silent and shit. So all you hear is, like, this clomping and thudding. Anywho. Back to Lori. Uh, so as we've said four times now, Lori Strode, uh, she was the main victim, I Heroine. guess, in this movie. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, she was 19 at the time, and we all know Jamie Lee Curtis because she's fabulous. The most wonderful Scream Queen in the world. If you haven't watched the TV show Scream Queens, it's funny as shit with her. So just saying. But she was dubbed the original Scream Queen because of this movie. I don't so. think I knew that she was in that. She got this part, and I don't know how she feels about this, <laughs> uh, but John Carpenter has since said that he chose her for this part because she is the daughter of Janet Lee, who, as Katie mm -hmm. said earlier, had the lead role in uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, mm -hmm. and her father is Tony Curtis, who played in Touch of Evil, which was also, John Carpenter said, a big influence for this film. Mm -hmm. um so i'm not sure how she feels or if she knew about that at the time if they were like hey who are your parents and she was like oh lee and these guys lee and johnny or whatever his name is uh tony sorry <laughs> <laughs> lee and tony and he was like you know what you're hired like it says absolutely nothing about her as an actress or actor because she i know her i don't really know who her parents are but she's huge so yeah she's wonderful i mean i know who her mother was but again i've been an alfred hitchcock fan since i was a fucking child so I knew exactly who she was, but nevertheless. Another thing that Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing for is because she continually comes back and plays this role of Laurie mm -hmm. Strode. And yeah. I think that's so incredible that she 
hasn't like pushed this aside despite how much fame she's gotten she's never like that role is beneath me or that was my first role i don't care about it um as we've seen with other movies leprechaun <laughs> she yeah she continually comes back and she's gonna be in the 2020 20, well so she was in the 2018 one halloween kills mm-hmm. so. and now she's coming out in this this new one and she'll be in the final one hopefully i think uh yes we hope it's the final one <laughs> At this point, they just need to stop. I'm pretty sure it's the final one. Even John Carpenter, like, he came back and he's like, we're going to do this the right way, the way that I wanted to end this, and it's done. And so I listen, he's been do. saying that since Halloween 1. <laughs> he's like, this is the one and only. Well, it was never supposed to be this way in the first place, but we will get into that. The next character we have is Dr. Loomis, who is played by Donald Pleasance. You'll, uh, you also see Dr. Loomis in Halloween 2 and 4 through 6, but he's, he's, uh, he's Michael Myers' therapist, psychiatrist. <laughs> Linda Vanderklok, which is an intense name to have. I love it. Which is the gorgeous, like, blonde bombshell um, friend of Lori. That role was apparently specifically written for PJ PJ. Souls. I almost (laughs) called her. I wrote JP, and yesterday we figured out it was PJ, and it was just a whole mess. But PJ Souls, she plays one of the mean girls in the original Carrie. Mm-hmm. And John Carpenter, I guess, saw that and was like, she needs to be in my movie. Dennis Quaid was dating her at the time. And if you don't know who Dennis Quaid is, he plays on, I think it's Field of Dreams, maybe. Um, he is also in the Parent, Parent Trap. Trap. Yeah. The remake. <laughs> the Lindsay Lohan version of yes. Parent Trap. John Carpenter <laughs> did try to get Dennis Quaid to be uh, JP's on screen boyfriend as well, Bob. Uh, but he just wasn't available. He was filming like two or three other movies at the time. He was a big he was a big shot back in the day. What I found funny when I was looking up all these characters on Halloween Wiki, it has like its own wiki page, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were very specific notes taken about Linda Vanderklok. They have her social social security number, which they <laughs> that's p- awkward. They put on there is seven three five blah 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 blah. So from I think it was seventy two to two thousand eleven, the social security office. Your first three numbers were indicative of the mailing the zip code of your mailing address that they was associated with your social security card when you requested it. So I looked it up to see what area code had been associated with that one, because this falls during that time. Um, it's not associated with any. So they either really did their research when they picked that social security number, or um, so that it wasn't an actual social security number. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And it also says she is the only person not to be killed with Michael's signature butcher knife. Yeah, because she strangled. Spoiler note. But then <laughs> that's like all he does in the second one. So I guess he like yeah. enjoyed that. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Let's see. Linda was examined by Graham from 4 p.m. to 5 on November. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, I think that's like the autopsy maybe. It took. In November? I guess I guess it did happen on Halloween. Like so. on November 1st maybe? Yeah, maybe. Um, Or Graham. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who Graham is. I didn't Google it. Couldn't I just, tell you. Sorry, guys. Like I said, these are just very oddly specific. Uh, yeah. Linda's family's from Germany, and Linda says the word totally, like, 11 times. You know what's really funny is in the 2000, uh, 2007 remake, they make sure to add that. Rob Zombie made sure to, like, 
have Linda say totally a fair amount in like awkward forms too. To make it very obvious, probably. Uh-huh. It's kind of funny. So then we get Annie Brackett, who is the sheriff's daughter and also um, Laurie Strode's best friend. She's played by Nancy Keys. And Annie slightly looks like the, the girl who plays Baby in Dirty Dancing. Especially, I think, I think a lot of it's the hair. Her personally. nose is unique. Yeah. Coming from a woman with a unique nose. And um, you're never going to meet him, but the voice of Paul, who is Annie's boyfriend in the movie, is none other played than by John Carpenter himself. There we go. Earlier, I was like, I don't know what part he played when I was talking about the Stanley thing. There it is. I wrote that myself, and I forgot that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, so he plays the voice of Paul. You don't actually get a... You don't see him, but he's on the phone, and so you... And he's talking to Lindsay Wallace, um, who is the little girl that she babysits at the same time. Lindsay Wallace is played by Kylie Richards, who does come back. Uh, she does okay. come back to play Lindsay Wallace in the new Halloween Kills. I'm excited to see that. That's going to be really interesting. Kylie Richards is currently filming something called The Real Housewives of the North Pole. And I am so <laughs> intrigued because I love me a Christmas movie. And I'm just like, what is this going to do? I'm Bougie Christmas movies. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. I love me some Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and then there's Mr. Brackett, who is the sheriff, Charles Cyphers. Um, he also is going to be in Halloween Kills. I'm glad they're bringing back original characters and like original actors from the first one. To be in these new um, new ones. I think that's the magic of having John Carpenter be involved. You fucking bet. <laughs> because he could call them and say, hey, I'm putting my, I'm doing this. I, I'm putting my stamp of approval on this film. Would you please help? Like, yeah, I'd love to work with you again. Yeah. So, so Halloween in itself has won seven wins and uh, it still has and it's gotten three nominations as well. Which is pretty impressive for a single movie itself, especially for back in the day, and being a horror movie. A lot of those wins um, are one for being like just general horror genre, but also for the score because mm-hmm. it, even though it's like a very simple melody that he did, the theme it's song. it's like Jaws. It's it doesn't it's take so a lot. well known. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you so, know it instantly. I used to have it as a ringtone for the longest time when I was a kid. Yeah, it's it's a good like creepy ass song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I tried to come up with some, like, misleading movie descriptions like I do for every movie, but I just don't have that, like, goofy <laughs> creative brain for that. Um, the best I got was man returns home after 15 years and seeks a babysitter. <laughs> so, I don't know. That's, that's a little awkward. <laughs> did you Did you come up with any? No. So I did, if you are one of our Instagram followers, um, I did request listeners to post their misleading movie descriptions. And um, to date, we've had one. So yay! Thank you. That's awesome. (laughs) I don't know how you pronounce this, so I'm so sorry. Uh, If it's wrong. Your name is either a dude or a dud 95. (laughs) (laughs) So it's A-D-U-D 95. Thank you. So this is what he's they submitted because I don't know your gender and I don't want to. <laughs> so they submitted um, years after the tragic passing of his sister, Austin Powers goes to a party with the local youth in Haddonfield where they decide to play hide and go seek tag with a twist. 
<laughs> I um, love the hide and go seek tag aspect of that. Uh, brilliant. We call it yeah. sardines. I don't. I've never heard of the sardines. So sardines is the reverse of hide and go seek. So one person hides and everybody else tries to find them. And once you find them, you hide with them. And the last person standing um, oh, so is you have to like it. pack into a small place. Sardines. Got yeah. it. So, okay. You know what? Never heard of that. Never put that together. I was like, oh. why is it called sardines? <laughs> You're see, brilliant. Together. We our our minds work better when we're together. <laughs> we feed off each other. We're we too. are two halves of one whole. We really are. I mean, I've known her my entire life. Let's be honest here, guys. Let's remember this. She really has been my entire life. <laughs> so but yeah, and then I think whoever the last person is, once they find you, you have to like tag everybody. Um oh. but yes, I love the aspect of the hide and go see tag thing because they are like running around. Well, thank you for the submission. I love the Austin Powers bit just because his name is Michael Myers. Um, because <laughs> that was always a thing. I that didn't I got get that started. either. <laughs> really? <laughs> I was like, I mean, Austin Powers is super misleading, but now Mike I get Myers. it. Mike Myers. Mike Myers plays Austin Powers. You know what? Um, a d- ninety-five. I like it even more. <laughs> you thank you. We really appreciate this. That was really you awesome. Took it to another level, and I appreciate that. Um, oh my gosh I did not put that together I feel so dumb now (laughs) yeah so I started laughing at the first part just because like all of a sudden I read Austin Powers and I was like what oh (laughs) you are awesome thank you for your submission please please go continue doing that for us later on we really really love it if you want to see a certain movie or want us to do a certain movie let us know it will be literally the next movie we do so thank you for your submission Um, but let's get into it we've got a lot of stuff to go through with this movie. So, this movie starts out in Haddonfield, Illinois, where six-year-old Michael Myers, not Austin Powers, but uh, <laughs> Michael Myers, <laughs> kills his mostly naked older sister, which is like really weird that he was just so calm about that, being six, I don't know. Also, the woman who played Judith was a playmate for like... Oh, probably why she was so so comfortable with being there at that time at that time yes that was rare to have that much boob on screen (laughs) yeah but yeah that was just a weird side note uh but six-year-old michael myers uses a kitchen knife while dressed as a clown on halloween and you see it through his mask um like his clown mask so Mm -hmm. it's like you are him doing it yeah you it's like you're looking through a mask you only see what's through the eye holes it's kind of cool it's very interesting he walks outside and his parents pull up and they're like michael what happened and he just stares and then he's got the knife in his hand (laughs) and then it jumps to dr loomis in 1970 who is driving to the asylum hospital where michael has been kept for all these years and he is basically just spending his entire life making sure that michael never gets released then they get to this asylum it's him and a nurse who's driving and there's a whole bunch of uh, patients just like wandering the grounds yeah they're all just out on the grounds wandering around and it's like raining michael ends up stealing their car and leaving them abandoned which I guess lucky for them, he didn't choose to kill them. Yeah. And then it jumps to Halloween Day in Haddonfield, uh, still 1970. Mm-hmm. And you are introduced to Lori Strode and her two friends, 
Lori is the realtor, I'm sorry, the daughter of the realtor who is selling the Meyer house. and Attempting to sell, let's be honest here. They're like, who's going to buy this house? And they're like, probably nobody who lives here. So while she's dropping off the keys at the Meyer house for the people who are going to come look at it, you find out that Michael Myers, or Michael, as I will call him from now on because I don't want to say his whole name, is like squatting in the house basically and he gets mm-hmm. a look at Lori and basically just says yeah that's the one <laughs> just like that but in his head because he doesn't talk no meanwhile dr loomis is trying to get everyone to take michael's escape seriously but everyone is like you know what he's been a model patient he doesn't say anything he never gets in trouble He's fine. And Dr. Loomis is like, he's going to go back to that town and immediately kill everybody. And everyone's like, <laughs> you're, you're like, yeah, right. Good joke. He's the only one that's even remotely sane about this shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then as soon as everyone's like, oh, he's fine. Uh, you see that Michael is stalking Lori and everyone she knows. Yep. Uh, what you find out is that Lori is basically a goody good who hangs out with cheerleaders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Young women who are not shy and have boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lori and one of her friends, whose name I forgot, Annie. There, it's Annie and Linda. Uh, are set to babysit a couple of neighborhood children for Halloween night. Mm-hmm. And the other two girls, Annie and Vander- Linda Vanderclock, they have intentions of inviting their boyfriends over for some naughty time. dr loomis notices that petty crimes are happening all over the town and talks to the The sheriff sheriff and is like you have to shut down halloween and he's like nah man he's like doc what you're saying is a joke and he's like it's not someone stole a mask it's okay it's halloween this part makes me laugh because while dr loomis is trying to get the sheriff to take him seriously Michael Myers is like driving in the background, like right behind him. He drives mm-hmm. by in the car. Yeah. And you're like, if only, if only. Um, they do end up going to Michael's house and they find a murdered dog. <laughs> R.I.P. He's like the first uh, I hate I hate when animals get murdered. Yeah. I guess they think that he was eating it or something. I don't know. But it's sad. Oh yeah, he says I guess he got hungry. Dr. Loomis starts giving some background about how he had met Myers when he was six. He was assigned to him as a psychiatrist. He mm-hmm. says that when he saw him, he was uh, he wore a blank, pale, emotionless face with the devil's eyes, which I don't know what the devil's eyes look like. But. My favorite, though, is that when Rob Zombie recreated this movie in 2007, which we'll talk about later on in another episode, um, he actually uses that exact line in as Dr. Loomis, which is pretty cool. Sorry. <laughs> a lot of following movies try really hard to like make sure they maintain mm-hmm. a lot of these details, which I appreciate when movies But there's still that. so many timelines that have gone off because of this, and it makes it so confusing to follow it. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> well, let's pick and choose which ones we like. <laughs> like no, yeah. that's not how it works. Yeah. Meanwhile, the fans are like, how do we put all these together? We're Theory. so confused. Anyways. Yeah. So, Dr. Loomis spent like 15 years trying to get Michael to talk to him. Just to like get through to him at all. 
and he says that for like the first eight of that he was like legitimately trying to get michael to help and then for the last seven of that he spent just making sure that michael never got out (laughs) annie's house that she is babysitting is lindsey wallace's and they have a dog which is going crazy in the kitchen and of course she's like ah the damn dog and they're all of us watching are like why do you ignore the fucking dogs never ignore the goddamn dogs the animals know best so she's like (laughs) put the dog out and then it gets murdered because michael is stalking her and watching her yeah shit goes down myers kills annie and then linda and her boyfriend show up they get killed i'm skipping through a lot of this because people have seen it and i don't want to spend all of our time on this that's totally fine but if i skip something that you think needs to be noted feel free to interrupt me Uh, So then Michael starts to focus his energies on Lori. Both of the kids are at Lori's house now. So she is in like a very, uh, when a stranger calls, like trying to hide these children um, and protect them. Because the kid that she was babysitting, Tommy, keeps seeing Michael outside and is like, it's the boogeyman. And she's like, no, it's just because it's Halloween and you're being scared. But really, he's seeing Michael. So then she like they struggle because he gets in the house. She stabs him in the neck with a knitting needle. He collapses and she's like, oh God, I'm safe. And then they go upstairs and he attacks her in the closet because he's not dead. And she again stabs him and he collapses. And then she's like, oh God, what was But me? then walks away without the word or weapon without without a weapon. Just leaves it. That's that 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 kills me. That shit kind of kill, always kills me. And then she turns her back to him and is like, "Woe is me. I'm safe." And guess what? He's not dead. And then right then Dr. Loomis walks in cuz he saw the two children running out of the house to get help. Um mm-hmm. shoots Michael. He falls off the balcony thing. They go. He's no longer laying on the grass. That's how it ends. Mhm. And up to that point, Lori had no idea who this guy was. Uh, Dr. Loomis tells her it's the boogeyman, and she hopefully learned to check pulses or take weapons with her when she murders somebody, or she thinks she murders somebody. <laughs> yeah, for real. But that is the very quick recap of Halloween 1. Mm-hmm. So I went through that really fast just because it is an older movie, and it's a well-known movie, so I imagine most people have seen it or know what happens but also i kind of want to give less details in our synopsis because i want people to be able to go watch the movies and have you know some surprises uh if they haven't watched it before the recording so i I think that sounds good so the victims and the order of their deaths consist of judith myers which is uh his older sister she is stabbed to death then uh, you get the unconfirmed of who got murdered in his escape for it to work out. So you don't exactly know if he killed police officers or whatever in the Institute, who he killed along the way. Which I imagine had to be a shit ton of people because there were lots of patients wandering the grounds. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, and so then you get Phillips, who is the garage guy who appears to have been stabbed and he uh, took his truck, I believe. Um, you also have the two dogs of unknown, spe- uh, unknown specifics. But it does include Lindsay Wallace's dog, Lester, unfortunately. 
Then Annie, the sheriff's daughter, she is choked to death in the car. Annie and Linda are both choked to death. That's true. That was an Not incorrect just Linda. stated earlier. There we go. Fixed it now. <laughs> Linda, uh, Linda's boyfriend, Bob, who is actually probably one of the most iconic murders of Michael Myers that you know of because he is stabbed once in the abdomen, but he's held up off the ground and Michael stabs him into the wall and the knife apparently goes all the way through him and holds him to the wall. <laughs> we talked about is one of the murders at the beginning of Freaky mm-hmm. and I didn't get that reference um, and I think mm-hmm. you were explaining it and I was like oh yeah I totally yeah. knew that I didn't know that this is the first That's, time it's one of the most iconic like murders that you've ever seen in a slasher and they make reference to it even Rob Zombie makes a reference to it in his remake even th- but it's not like the exact same idea of the murder and then Linda who gets strangled by the phone cord when she's on the phone with uh, Lori so I know that this is because of the time frame or like the when this movie was made in the 70s, as we talked about, there wasn't a whole lot of blood, gore and violence that was mm-hmm. on TV. Um, but all of these people died very easily and quickly. Like one quick stab through the abdomen isn't going to kill you instantly. Um, you have to bleed unless you like <laughs> passed out and then died that way. I don't know. But they all just die so quickly. <laughs> yeah. But that's neither here nor there. It's still a good film. So, our next set of notes are about the movie world, Um, and then after that, we'll talk about, like, behind-the-scenes real-world type notes. Um, That was the best way for me to split these up. (laughs) So, at the very beginning, there's a children's rhyme, and it says, Black cats and goblins and broomsticks and ghosts, covens of witches with all of their hosts, you may think they scare me. You're probably right. Black cats and goblins on Halloween night. Trick or treat. And it's creepy ass children saying it. As always. I <laughs> think John Carpenter invented that. Or he and Deborah wrote it together. I couldn't mm-hmm. find reference of it anywhere else. Uh, it's pretty creepy and it's a good one. Another thing you see is the nurse who nurse chambers who is driving with dr loomis at the beginning of the uh, movie she is using a matchbook from a place called the red rabbit lounge and the rabbit in red lounge i'm sorry you're right (laughs) the rabbit in red lounge and in the halloween remake of in 2007 rob zombies remake um the strip club is called the rabbit in red lounge and that is where michael myers mother actually worked in haddonfield um so I thought that's a nice little uh, tidbit that Rob Zombie brought into the remake in 2007. So in the Halloween one, they place like an odd emphasis on that matchbook. So I think people after that movie just picked up on that and ran with it because it's also in the comics that people have mm-hmm. made. It's in a ton of fan art. Uh, there's something called a virtual Haddonfield, which is basically a Facebook community <laughs> where hmm. People created businesses in Haddonfield because Haddonfield does not exist. It's not a real place. It's completely John Carpenter's brain baby. But people do create like these businesses and they post like it's real time. Multiple people role playing as various characters from the many installments ranging from the original film to its, you know, following films. Hmm. It says, and what I found online, is it deals with the story of how the small town of Haddonfield, uh, what it was like the year of 1978 prior to the Halloween night before Michael Myers returned home for the 
for murdering everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, there are profiles set up for the main characters, like Laurie Strode, her friends, uh, characters from the later movies, Deputy Gary Hunt, Ben Meeker, his daughter Kelly, and hmm. including Dr. Loomis, which I don't see Dr. Loomis having a Facebook. Like, I feel like that itself is out of character. <laughs> But, <laughs> yeah, for real. You know, maybe it's how he connects with patients. Who knows? There is a red, I'm sorry, a rabbit in red lounge in this virtual Haddonfield. And their last post, um, I can't remember the date that it was, but it said, apologies to our patrons, but we will need to close early tonight due to structure safety. Also, Miss, Mrs. Elrod, not only are you forbidden to, quote, give it a go, unquote, on our dancer pull in the future, you're no longer even allowed in our parking lot. <laughs> You'll be hearing, You'll from, be our hearing from our attorney. <laughs> That's great. So people get into it and it's... There's also another part in the movie where Dr. Loomis is looking for Judith's gravesite. And the, uh, I don't know, graveyard guide? I don't know what you call him. The gravekeeper. Um, he starts talking about a man named Charlie Boyles. And, um, oh, the gravekeeper's name is Angus Taylor. And he says, I remember a guy over in Russellville, Charlie Bowles, about 15 years ago, which would have been the same year that uh, Myers killed his sister when he was six. Mm-hmm. He finished dinner, excused himself from the table, went out into the garage and got a hacksaw, then came back into the house, kissed his wife and two children goodbye, and then he proceeded to dot, 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 and then he gets cut off by Loomis. There is a Halloween short story slash graphic novel called Halloween, where a story called Charlie uh, is in. <laughs> it's written by Stephen Hutchison with art by Nick Dismiss. and. On the Halloween series wiki, it says that it takes place in the Halloween H2O timeline, which we'll talk about later, the different timelines. But basically, Charlie had an Oedipus-like mommy issues and went crazy murdering his... Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then he went crazy, murdered his family, and they don't really explain why, I guess. Uh, There are other short stories. It's like part of a series in a book. I think it's all fan-based. It's supposed to all be canon, I guess. Hmm. And it it's published in Halloween Night Dance, which covers Michael Myers going to Russellville on Halloween 2000 and targeting another babysitter named Lisa Thomas. Hmm. Interesting. So, you want to get to know Michael Myers just a little bit? Because we got a deep dive on him. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did. Always. You always have to have a deep dive on Michael Myers when he's a main killer. So... Michael Myers was born October 19th of 1957. Um, he kind of has some power, a little odd, um, but he's got, he's really strong. He's basically invincible. He has that signature slow stalking walk. So no matter how fast you're running, he can slowly walk up and catch you. He likes to uh, murder people by um, knife and or choking as we have seen with a couple people he's oddly thought out and artistic which means he kind of like he he has plans but he doesn't have plans but they work out in ways that <laughs> well there's that part in the first one when he kills uh Vanderclock, um and he spooks her first with the ghost thing and mm-hmm. then she runs around and he had moved the other two that he had killed 
into these specific positions and things. And I was like, he put a lot of effort and thought into that for some random reason. Mm-hmm. I think what hap- what you find out is that he's kind of like oddly intelligent. Um, not oddly, but he's like incredibly intelligent, but it just never really got harnessed appropriately. Uh, but yeah, he kind of falls into our Jeepers Creepers artistic mm-hmm. oddness. There's a fandom page for uh, this movie that states that Michael Myers is a virtual virtual catalog of mental illness. Um, he's got catatonia, or he's catatonic, which, um, according to WebMD, <laughs> is a group of symptoms that usually involves a lack of movement or in communication, and it also um, can include agitation, confusion, and restlessness. Um, so that's why he doesn't talk. He doesn't really interact. He just kills and keeps going. <laughs> Doctors can diagnose someone as catatonic if they have any of these uh, these kinds of signs. So not responding to other people or their environment, not speaking, holding their bottle bottles, holding their bodies in an unusual position, resisting people who try to adjust their bodies, agitation, repetitive seeming uh, seemingly meaningless movement, mimicking someone else's speech or mimicking someone else's movements. So. You know, any of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, a wide range. So any three of those signs, basically, you could be diagnosed as catatonic. But yes, there are three different types of catatonia. I think Myers would fall under the akinetic catatonia. This is also considered the most common form or presentation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone with akinetic catatonia often stares blankly and won't respond when they are spoken to. If they do respond, it's basically just to repeat what you said, and sometimes they sit or lie in an unusual position, and they just don't move. Interesting. It happens most often with people who have mood disorders or psychotic disorders like depression, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. About a third of people who are catatonic also have bipolar disorder. Mm. And conditions that affect your body chemistry like kidney problems, diabetes, and thyroid conditions. Um, that's not to say that all patients with those, with those, uh, diagnoses Mm -hmm. have catatonia. I think it's just like really severe situations. Right. Or like if they get mistreated or untreated for a long time. Parkinson's disease is also associated with Mm -hmm. this diagnosis simply because your nervous system gets attacked. And encephalitis, which is an infection that affects your brain. Um, so basically, like, your nervous system is just shutting down in these situations. and No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> that's why they get catatonic. Um, antisocial personality disorder, in this case, psychopath for sociopath, is another diagnosis that is often associated or ascribed to Myers. Um, so I wanted to touch briefly or not so briefly, on the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath. Mm -hmm. So psychopaths tend to be more manipulative. They can be seen by others as more charming. They lead a kind of normal life, or they they try to lead a normal life, or they think they could lead a normal life. Um, And they are, like, in the right mind to be able to minimize their risk when they are doing criminal activities, Uh, which is, you know, scary to think of. think ted bundy who got like the entire mormon community to be like no he's innocent support him Um, because he's so charming and Mm -hmm. crazy 
uh, John Wayne Gacy was able to murder lots of young boys because I he was just such a pillar in the community. I think of Jim Jones, who started Jones, uh, Jonestown in um, out out wherever in the in, in paradise, and he got Brazil. the entire congregation. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, Cult leaders. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, sociopaths tend to be more erratic, rage-prone, and unable to lead a normal life. Uh, those are, like, your more obvious serial Pretty killers. sure I've met a single sociopath in my life, and I absolutely was terrified of him, and I've never wanted to meet him ever again in my life. <laughs> These uh, sociopaths are, like, what we hope, or, like, what we would imagine serial killers and evil people being like, because they are just so crazy, they can't be normal. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think psychopaths are far more common. <laughs> I would agree. They're harder to identify. I would agree. Sociopaths, um, they make it clear that they do not care how others feel. They behave in hot-headed and impulsive ways. They're prone to fits of anger and rage. They recognize what they are doing, but they are able to rationalize their behavior. Basically, they're like moody teenagers, but they just mm-hmm. never leave the teenager phase, and they murder people. Mm-hmm. Or they're... I'm not going to say all sociopaths murder people, but they are probably more prone to murder people or animals or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they cannot maintain regular work and family life, and they can form emotional attachments, but I think it's like kind of more of like a twisted form of an emotional attachment. Like what they would call it's, love is not what we Yeah, it's would really call difficult, love. and it's definitely a twisted idea than what we would normally think of. I'm so. thinking, I'm trying to think of serial killers that people would know about maybe btk um, okay yeah because he bounced around jobs a lot and he tried to for like he thought he could rationalize things but he was just stupid i don't know he was an idiot i don't know i don't know if he would qualify <laughs> yeah uh, um psychopaths they can they have the ability to pretend to care they display cold-hearted behavior they fail to recognize other people's distress they have relationships, but they are shallow, um, so they just are, like, never fully committed. Mm-hmm. They maintain a normal life as a cover for their criminal activity, which is why they get away with so much. And they fail to form genuine emotional attachments, um, so they get other people to fall in love with them, but they don't reciprocate. And they can, like we just said, they can fall in love, but again, it's like their own sick, twisted idea of love. It's not right. what we would imagine love is. There's a great example of that in Criminal Minds, um, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, so there are different programs for schools uh, that do, if you do a psychology class or if there's like medical school residents that do these kind of things, but they have people do um, like a psychiatric evaluation of a character from a movie or a show or a book or something interesting and like that's your homework and you would submit that the next clump i guess of disorders or mental disorders or whatever we want to associate um come from a psychiatric evaluation by medical school students that i found Hmm. so they associate conversion disorder which is now called functional neurologic disorder uh it is a neurologic disorder as given in the name um They affect your movement or your senses, such as your ability to walk, swallow, see, or hear. 
Symptoms can vary in severity and may come and go or be persistent, but you can't intentionally produce or control your symptoms. So if you have conversion disorder, it just happens and it's not something people will be like, oh, I'm just going to have an episode or whatever you call it and shut mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these disorders that get associated with him are meant to explain, one, his inability to talk or his want to not talk for 15 years. Right. Um, and also, like, his erratic, slow, creepy movements, the way that he just, like, lays down and doesn't move. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, things like that. Uh, conversion disorders typically brought on by stressful situations. And according to the Mayo Clinic, signs and symptoms that affect body movements and function may include weakness or paralysis, abnormal movements such as tremors or difficulty walking, loss of balance, difficulty swallowing, seizures or episodes of shaking and apparent loss of consciousness, and episodes of unresponsiveness. I am wondering if conversion disorder is kind of the new catatonic disorder, or if catatonia is a part of, is something that would fall under conversion disorder. I'm not sure how that works. So signs, 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 signs and, and symptoms. symptoms. <laughs> exactly. So signs and symptoms that affect the senses may include numbness or loss of touch of sensation. Um, the speech problems such as inability to speak or slurred speech, you know, just me speaking. <laughs> um, Vision problems such as doubled vision or blindness and hearing problems or deafness. Sounds awful. Yeah, that doesn't sound very fun at all. There's also voyeurism, uh, which is the practice of gaining sexual uh, pleasure from watching others when they are naked or engaged in sexual activity. So, like a peeping Tom. Yeah. So, Myers has uh, CIP, which is um, congenital insensitivity to pain. So this is why he can get shot and things like that and still get up and move and walk away and be totally fine and seem like he is supernatural. Uh, it's a rare condition. One in 125 million people basically have it where the patient simply feels no pain. So in the Halloween movies, he presents um, the ex- it's like an extreme depiction of the disorder where he gets shot and he walks off just fine. He gets thrown off or he falls off a balcony and he walks out and and just gone by the time you can find him. According to Metaline Plus, people with the condition can feel the difference between sharp and dull and hot and cold, but cannot sense, for example, that a hot beverage is burning their tongue. Which is such so a like, they... weird like nuance that your brain picks up on. Like, oh, this is right. hot, but it doesn't burn me. Like, they should be it's the fine. same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so many people with uh, with CIS or CIP, they also have a complete loss of the sense of smell. Hey, my dad. My dad can't smell, but he blew his out when he was a child. <laughs> they are both re- um, reliant to the SCN9A gene, <laughs> which leads to the, these same conditions when, muta- uh, when mutated. Additionally, they tend not to sweat or have, or they have a hard time controlling their body heat, so they're prone to fevers which is really interesting. Yeah, that's like a random... I know it's related to the gene in some way that I couldn't even begin to understand or describe, but... And you're the science person here. <laughs> it's uh, it's just like random. Very Well Health says that it's often identified in kids who have unusual calm faces when, um, when they should be exper- are expected to be crying or reacting. So, you know, when his... 
when him at six killed his sister and had no expression at all. No, that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about, like, he slammed his finger in a car door and just kept staring like nothing happened. Like, they aren't responding to pain. That's how it's identified. From what I've read, uh, patients with CIP, because they're unable to sense when they have an injury, they get infections a lot and they Mm. get sepsis. And the pictures of injuries that patients with CIP have are horrific. Like, there was one where it was someone's heel of their foot and it was basically just a crater like a golf ball sized crater because they had gotten um i don't know i think they had like stepped on a nail or something and then it just got infected and the infection just like ate away at their foot it was cool but yeah they just they have a really hard time uh taking care of themselves that way they get injuries um from doing like they'll break a bone and they just won't know and that's you know it's not safe um i imagine that that has some role on your psyche as well because you're just like i'm invincible um although i'm i'm sure it does get identified fairly young in people and that way they're like able to prepare them as they grow up for whatever may happen but yeah it's crazy that would be weird that's terrifying I I can't imagine what that would be like. So Dr. Loomis at the very beginning when he's talking to Nurse Chambers and he's explaining why he doesn't want Michael Myers to get out at all. And she's like, what are you going to do at the trial? And he's like, I'm going to dose him up with a shit ton of Thorazine. And she's like, but then he'll be, you know, useless. And he's like, that's the point. So I Googled Thorazine because, you know, why not? Curiosity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it is a medication that's typically prescribed to children ages 1 through 12. Uh, The other name for it is clopromazine, and it's typically used to treat severe behavioral problems such as combative or explosive behavior, which we'll talk a little bit about later, or hyperactivity with excessive motor activity. So their ADHD, like on crack, um, is what I would take that as. It is actually no longer used. (laughs) I mean. I, I can't say for sure. I'm pretty sure that it's no longer used. I think it was just kind of deemed as dangerous and not very ethical to use on patients. So they don't use right. it anymore. They have other safer compounds now. In adults, is used to treat psychotic disorders such as schizophrenia, manic depression. Um, it can oddly also be prescribed to treat nausea and vomiting or the chronic hiccups. Chronic hiccups! I'm like, um, you go from, like, violent children to hiccups. <laughs> what the fuck? And I'm sure dosage matters in those things, but right. I was, that's, like, a that's weird... That's so funny and weird. Yeah. And... But also, hiccups are so annoying, and mine have never lasted for more than, like, two minutes, maybe, and I... <laughs> Dude, some of mine have hurt before, and they've lasted, like, a couple hours, and it's been rough. Yeah, I remember watching, like, Ripley's Believe It or Not, and they did the guy who's had hiccups, like, his whole life, and I was like, mm-hmm. I can't... How do you sleep? I don't even know. You'd have to drug yourself. I couldn't mm-hmm. couldn't do it. Drive me nuts. But I didn't think because it was treating like nausea and vomiting and hiccups, I was like, oh, doesn't sound that bad. Why would she make that weird comment? They must be exaggerating. And then I started to see headlines like Thorazine Zombie. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, that oh. sounds bad. <laughs> so in a lot of storylines, like on TV or something, you'll see where people who are being treated for mental health 
um, have, they like stop taking their patients because they're like, it makes me numb. That's basically what this is talking about, but mm. to an act, like an extra level. So Thorazine is essentially a sedative tranquilizer and it just knocks people on their ass, which is why it's used for those extreme psychotic Michael Myers in mm-hmm. this movie. An article talked about the use of Thorazine in Jonestown, which you mentioned ah, earlier. Jim Jones. And I was I like, don't know why. I've always had such an obsession with that story and that whole like cult itself. It's so weird. Jonestown used to use Thorazine to drug individuals who mm-hmm. were trying to leave or who threatened to like talk to the media or women who just didn't want to have sex with Jim Jones. That's about right. Like, that sounds fucking awful. So they mm-hmm. kept these people in the extended care unit or the ECU and they just spent their time in Jonestown being drugged and out of it and loopy. And that's so upsetting. Mm-hmm. All because he was a creep. Oh, yeah. The article that I found said, quote, most notable about Thorazine are its side effects, which are powerful and gruesome. First, Thorazine is well known for having a powerful sedative effect on those who take it. Indeed, many patients who have taken it are likened to zombies due to its power of sedation. It is even said that taking Thorazine is akin, I don't use that word in my everyday, (laughs) akin to having a chemical lobotomy. Anything notable? Yeah, that does not sound pleasant. I mean, it sounds better than having a ice pick stabbed through your eye, but you know. Still. Another notable side effect is what is called the Thorazine Shuffle. Individuals mm. on the drug have a hard time keeping still and find themselves needing to walk in an ungainly gait. Mr. Myers. Other mm. common side effects are dizziness, drowsiness, weight gain, and impotence, basically. Thorazine use can also have very serious consequences such as tremors, drooling, nausea, restlessness, twitching, and uncontrollable movements, high fever, stiff muscles, confusion, sweating, high heart rate seizure, low heart rate fainting, and slowed breath. That's a lot of fucking problems. I should have read that like at the end of a drug commercial. Um, <laughs> really, 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 really fast. fast. And then at the end said death. And death. Which I'm sure is probably one of them. Yeah. Yes. When used in children, it can lead to tics and movement disorders related to the use of antipsychotics, including rigidity, persistent muscle spasms, tre- tremors, restlessness, and perhaps most concerning, tardive dyskinesia. This is a condition that results in uncontrollable, repetitive muscle movements that may remain even after the medications are discontinued. Tardive dyskinesia often involves the facial muscles, especially around the mouth, so that the person appears to be grimacing. Hmm. What I just read is everything about Michael Myers explained through this medication that he probably was given a lot. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, because... This is like a random note that or tangent that my brain went on while I was researching this. Uh, but because we're talking about a medication that was given to children who had like explosive behaviors, um, violent tendencies, and this is a story about a six-year-old murderer, I was like, wow, are there really six-year-old murderers? And the answer is yes. Uh, kind of. <laughs> Kind of. Kind of. (laughs) Not necessarily six, but. So I found, I tried to look up, like, murderers, and I'm not going to say I did, 
like a major deep dive <laughs> into childhood murders. So if you have any that you think are applicable or that go against what we're about to say, uh, by all means, Insta or Facebook or Google us, Gmail us. Gmail us, email us. Um, <laughs> but I did pick out, I think, like four or five child murderers that just had wild fucking stories that I want to share. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm like, oh, am I saying too much or not enough? <laughs> but we're also true crime fanatics, so we find this interesting. So we are those people that are going to go, yeah, this is exactly what people want. Yeah, this is what you want to hear about <laughs> child murderers. So, I'm a mom. One of the first... This is what I want to know about. <laughs> exactly. I'm not a mom, but, you know. Um, so, uh, Jesse Pomeroy, was, he was 11 in 1871. And he would torture young boys in the woods by tying them up, stripping them, and then beating them. Oh, um, trigger warning. These are awful. They, oh, these are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> they are all children, typically doing things to children. And I took out the more gruesome details because we are not a true crime podcast and that's not what we do. But no. just warning. Also, I found the first few of these on something called medium.com lessons from history the four worst child murderers of all time and the rest i just found through a random google so sorry to interrupt continue so yeah so he was he was tying them up stripping them and beating them he was placed in reform school and then got out a year and a half later so probably roughly around 13 when he was supposed to be there until 18 that is messed up so he was he was released and he promptly murdered a ten year old boy named or a ten year old girl named Mary Curran and four year old Hol- Horace Mullen. So four. siblings. Four year old yeah. I don't think they were siblings. But he They're was Cur- oh, you're right. They're not siblings, Curran and Mullen. Four It's a baby. He later confessed to a total of twenty seven murders at the age of fourteen. And he became the young, youngest person in the state of Massachusetts to be convicted of first-degree murder. So, what an honor to him. That's yeah. fucking gross. I don't know if he's still um, the youngest person to this day or if he was just, like, the first one. But yeah, 27. And within, like, the span of a year. That is some wild-ass escalation. And yeah. probably all babies. Yep. Four years old, man. I don't want to read these anymore. This is too sad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next. Uh, This one's less awful. I mean, it's still awful, but it's not that. (laughs) So Graham Young in November of 1961 at, again, 14 years old. This is like when they're first getting their teenage teen hormones. Mm Mm-hmm. He served his sister a concoction of tea and poison. And I can't remember if it was his older sister or his youngest sister. I didn't put those in there. But Katie, guess what the poison was? I'm going to go with arsenic. No, it was. Let me unblacken this. So when I have surprises for Katie, I black it out. And now I have to unhighlight it. It looks looks like it's been redacted. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It was our naughty man's cherries. Oh, (laughs) that's insane. What do you know? Some Belladonna. Yes. Throw, throw back to uh, the uh, Practical Magic episode. Our last one, I think, for, for this one. Yeah. 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 Uh, either way, unfortunate. But Naughty Man's cherries don't belong in tea. 
the devil's berries. Yes. He <laughs> also poisoned and killed his stepmother at the age of 15. So a year after he tried to poison his sister, he actually poisoned his stepmother. So I'm not sure if when he tried to poison his sister, they figured out that he had done it intentionally or not, or if they were just like, oh, food poisoning. And then once he, they figured out he had murdered his stepmother, they were like, oh. This motherfucker's crazy. <laughs> there's the string. He got taken to a psychiatric facility where he became known as the Teacup Prisoner. That sounds like such a pleasant name. It is. I guess. It is not. Like, I just picture him, like, sitting and having conversations. (laughs) Yeah. Like, little tea parties with stuffed animals around him. But that's not at all what that means. All the playmates, all all the fucking inmates are like, don't fuck with him, man. Yeah. There's, like, 40-year-olds who are like, don't drink that tea. Don't go to that tea party. You don't want that tea party in your life. But he got that name because he kept poisoning staff and inmates, and one of them actually died. See? There you go. You don't want to go to that fucking tea party, man. Um, but also, the, you would imagine psychiatric facilities would be keeping shit locked away. Uh, so what was he poisoning people with, and why did he get access to it so frequently? That's a good question. Yeah, somebody was um, not fixing protocols. Uh, he did get released as a reformed man, and then he went on and poisoned seven more and killed one. He got into prison after that. They sent him to prison. Mm. So, so far in both of these cases, they released them prematurely, and they immediately turned around and did exactly what they were doing. Yeah. So then we have Eric Smith, who was diagnosed at the age of 13 with intermittent explosive disorder, which is a rare, a rare particularly in ch- is which is rare particularly <laughs> in children. There we go. And I swear I can read. So I guess he was bullied in school a lot, and so he ended up luring Derek Robbie, who was a four-year-old boy, Aww. who was again four-year-olds. Um, he was attempting to camp with him in the woods, and he hit the young boy over the head with a rock and then strangled him. Uh, he then sodomized him with a tree branch and confirmed that he was to confirm that he was dead. And then, uh, you know, he's he's still in prison. So. So two things. One, being bullied does not lead to murder in all people. But two, it's not an excuse to murder a four year old who has nothing to do with your bullying. And three, if you want to know if someone's dead, uh, check their pulse. You don't need to sodomize them with a goddamn tree branch. Yeah, that's a little uh, extra. Yeah. Good news, he wasn't released prematurely, and Thank he God. should just stay where he is. Yeah. The youngest, well-detailed that I could find, child murderers is what I am getting at. And by well-detailed, I mean these are the earliest murderers that we know of that have actual, you know, they've, they've been caught. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it was two, not one, but two 10-year-old friends, John Venables and Robert Thompson, who became the youngest convicted murderers in England after killing two-year-old James Bulger in 1993. They abducted him from a shopping center, tortured him to death. And I think there was something about leaving them on a train track. Yeah, I, I remember this. I remember, well, okay. I, like, I remember reading about these. Okay, I uh didn't, like I said, didn't want to put all those details in there, but... Yeah, it's rough. It's, yes. Ten. Ten! The youngest quote-unquote serial killer 
is supposedly an eight-year-old boy in India, or an eight-year-old in India, Amrjit Sada? Something like that. I'm sorry. Probably murdered it. Um, But he murdered three babies, which consisted of two family members and a neighbor. So, yeah, that's I, fucked up. I... <laughs> So we put quote serial killer because um, I don't know how confirmed all of that story is. It's kind of a secondhand story. I didn't dig into it. Of course, I don't. It's too dark. That one's too rough. That, I mean, like all of these are too rough. I'm, but I'm sure there's a podcast that covers it. But anyways. So we're going to go into higher notes and uh, happier things with behind the scenes of Halloween. <laughs> yes, we're going to bring you down to the darkest depths and then bring you back. <laughs> so the yeah. mask used for Michael. Great stories about that. Carpenter's bandmates who were involved in the movie, Tommy Lee Wallace and Nick Castle, as we said. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Tommy Lee Wallace actually made two different versions of the mask originally. One of them was a clown, um, as you see when he's a child. I don't know if that's the one Mm -hmm. he created or if they were just like, yeah, let's just do a clown mask. He also created what we now know as the Halloween mask or the, I'm sorry, I have the hiccups, the Myers mask. Oh, damn it, I have the (laughs) so carpenter ultimately chose the halloween one because it represented his idea for michael myers the best and in his script he specifically wrote that the mask should be like a blank human expression to promote the idea that michael had to literally put on a mask to appear human interesting so like he just he was just so expressionless he felt that he needed to wear a mask which explains the clown one to me because it's got like that permanent creep smile Mm -hmm. Um, but also like it and stuff so i could see not wanting to do those things originally this mask (laughs) was a captain kirk mask it literally a print of william shatner's face (laughs) so the mask like katie said was made from shatner's face it is from a movie called the devil's reign and what they did is he used it in this movie, or they used it in this movie. And then the Star Wars, not Star Wars, I'm so sorry, Star Trek. There you go. Merch people were like, you know what? We could cheaply remake this mask and sell it as Captain Kirk. So they did. I guess after Halloween came out, William Shatner would wear the mask when he would go out for Halloween sometimes. And mm-hmm. not everyone knows that Captain Kirk story. Uh, which is why people were like, oh. Also, originally, Halloween was meant to be called the Babysitter Murders because he's killing babysitters. But, And that was pitched by Erwin Yablans. He originally came up with the idea for the movie. Yeah, so he does really kill babysitters, which makes you think of When a Stranger Calls. The reason they changed it from the Babysitter Murders is because at the time, I think it was like just holiday movies in general were really big and so they're like how do we link this to a holiday so they picked halloween which they were amazed there wasn't a movie already called halloween at the time and then they said okay well let's switch this so it's on october 31st so then they kind of rewrote it and so it's more mm-hmm. of like just halloween related as opposed to babysitters but they didn't change that he only killed babysitters um so True. i think the babysitter murders would still work for this movie I agree. But originally, this movie had an initial budget of $300 and and (laughs) (laughs) $1,000. So yeah, it had an initial budget of $300,000. And half of the budget was spent on securing Panavision cameras so that the film would have more of a like cinematic 235 aspect ratio. 
doesn't mean shit to me, but I, I don't know what that means either. But somebody uh, out movie there, do. <laughs> yeah, that might be important to you. This was increased by 20k in order to afford to afford Pleasance, who he was paid twenty five or twenty thousand dollars for five days of work. However, the ter- uh, the total duration of his scenes is just over eighteen minutes. 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 So- that's a big deal because everybody else on this show took a huge fucking paycheck or a uh, yeah. pay cut. Like, yeah, they got paid dollars to dimes to do this movie. Nick, who's the shape, got $25 a day. I think Jamie Lee Curtis made maybe 2000 or something to that effect. Yeah, it was two to $3,000 I think she got from it. The actors were using their own wardrobes for this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis went to like JCPenney or Nordstrom's or something and she spent $100 on clothes for this movie. Yeah. So for him to get 20000 just for him is ridiculous. For 18 minutes. For 18 fucking yes. minutes of work. So Carpenter seriously wanted him on this film. Oh, big he time. He was stoked. I think they became friends after this. I mean, I guess nothing would make you feel more wanted than getting quadruple the amount everybody else was getting. So there are a lot of, a lot of inspirations for this movie. Um, which we have talked about a couple of them. But Michael is referred to as the shape in the credits because Carpenter originally didn't want him to have or to be a relatable human being. So he was literally just like classified as the monster. And so I think that's really interesting. Because this was a whole different idea originally when this movie was created and it wasn't supposed to have a sequel of any sort. Yeah, he really just wanted evil on screen he didn't want Mm -hmm. it to be a person he didn't want it to be a thing he just wanted a portrayal of pure evil carpenter goes on to say that when he was in college i believe he went on a tour to psychiatric hospital where he saw a little boy as a patient and when he went to talk to this little boy like i don't know why they were interacting with these patients Mm -hmm. um the little boy gave him a cold stare which is exactly what he used to describe michael through dr loomis um, and that's kind of his inspiration for six-year-old michael myers it's just that's like super interesting the epitome of evil yeah the fictional town of haddonfield was derived from haddonfield new jersey where hill grew up and most of the street names were taken from carpenter's hometown of bowling green kentucky like we said he's a huge sentimental and mm-hmm. he loves to reuse things from his names. own life yeah Hill also wrote most of the dialogue for the female characters while Carpenter concentrated for, on Dr. Loomis's speeches because Loomis pretty much has all the lines, especially in the second one. Character names came from both of the personnel and professional sources, such as like char- the character of Laurie Strode, who was, according to Hill, named after John Carpenter's first girlfriend. That's weird. <laughs> and the character of Michael Myers, who was named after the European um, distributor of Carpenter's previous film, Assault on Precinct 13. I don't know, but does that have anything to do with Michael Myers? Not that I know of. I've never seen that movie, so. Because that would be interesting. That would be interesting. But I don't don't know about that one, so. Carpenter also paid homage to Alfred Hitchcock with two characters' names, which is Tommy Doyle. So that was named after Lieutenant Detective Thomas J. Doyle from the 1950s Rear Window, which is a wonderful movie. And Dr. Loomis's name, which was taken from Sam Loomis, which is the boyfriend of Marion Crane in 1960s Psycho. Also, I forgot to say this earlier, a lot of this background stuff is pulled from Screen Rant. Mm, yeah. 
possibly Halloween wiki pages, but mostly Screen Rant, to be honest. They have... I fall into a black hole because they have links <laughs> within their... There is so much to go on with this movie, too, or with these movies, too, so... Yeah, they have... Like, they'll have an article and they'll have links within those articles and I'm like, I'll click on one and then it links to more shit and it clicks... Like, mm-hmm. I use them for The Conjuring, too. Which <sighs> was a terrible idea. <laughs> There's a lot. That's why there's so much. So much, yeah. When it first released, it was not widely accepted. In fact, the production company couldn't get it picked up and ended up distributing it themselves. Yep. Which I'm sure cost them a pretty penny. It definitely made up for it in the long run. <laughs> oh, I think I forgot to mention this earlier. The 300000 that they got for this film came from one single... Investor? Yeah, investor. Because John Carpenter went to him and said, look, all I need is this much money. How much do you want to give? And he was like, for that little, I'll give you all of it. Because a nice person. Yeah, I think that was like relatively unheard of to do a movie for that cheap. Hmm, interesting. When the first good review came, because most places were just ragging on it hardcore. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they didn't like about it um, specifically. Or if it's just because it was so different and new. But the first good review came from Village Voices. Tom Allen, who called it, quote, a movie of almost unrelieved chills and violence, conjuring up that unique mix of subliminal threat and contrapuntal physicality employed by Hitchcock. I don't know what half those words mean, but it sounds I nice. I don't either. <laughs> I was like, I've never heard the word contrapuntal. Contrapuntal. Yeah, contra- nope. You yeah, can't pronounce it, can't read it. But they had um, a... They had a <laughs> different dictionary back then <laughs> yeah i guess it it did um it did gross 47 million in its initial run and the seasonal re-releases leading up to the its television debut in october 1981 i so. think it was mostly tv reviewers and people like that they didn't like it but the general public loved it which turns out to be the thing like when you mm-hmm. look at ratings for movies and they're like oh it was awful i'm like i'll probably like it <laughs> yeah yeah that's exactly what i think too so the television television rights to Halloween were sold to NBC for four million in 1980, and the film appeared on television for the first time in October of 81. To fill the two-hour time slot, extra scenes had to be added, and so what they ended up doing was during Halloween two, Carpenter like filmed miscellaneous scenes mm-hmm. to add on to the original in order to make it fit that time slot. Which is like a weird, it's a weird thing to do. Yeah. I'm wondering how often that has to happen. I feel like more often than not, they just used cut footage um, and lengthen some of the random scenes as opposed to having to refilm new ones. Mm-hmm. The network version had a different climax. When Dr. Loomis shoots Michael Myers in the end, you can only hear the shots from outside the house, while in the theatrical version, you can see how he shoots him. Also, the network version replaces 12 minutes of violent footage with less gory scenes. This movie's already less gory in the world to begin with. <laughs> I am not sure which version I watched. I, um, I'm thinking... No, I definitely watched the theatrical version because I saw him get shot and fall off the thing. Okay, never mind. Cleared that up. You can see I own it. A Vulture article had this to say about the film as well. It says, quote, Halloween was the result of such a specific series of circumstances, a combination of ta- combination of talented and hungry filmmakers, never say die producers, promptly prime audiences, and the general ready for reinvention. Genre. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> 
and a genre ready for reinvention. That recapturing its magic would seem less possible, but they'll probably keep trying. And try they do. And they do! <laughs> so, basically, I think one of the arguments is that there, a lot of critics are like, there's no way that that movie should have done as well as it did. Right. Um, and it still is like a huge influence in a lot of horror films and in the horror world in general. So with that, because they kept trying to remake that grand Halloween one, we introduced Halloween 2. Whoop, whoop. So this was created in 1981, and it does have a different director. So John Carpenter did not direct this, though he still did. He is still a part of writing it. Rick Rosenthal is who directed this, and he's also known for doing two episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Whoop, whoop. And he also did Halloween 8 Resurrection, which is, um... <laughs> Anyways. Anywho, <laughs> Anywho. Um, as she said, this was still written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, although um, details on that later. Yeah. The cast is generally the same. Like we say, they tend to reuse everybody, which is great. Uh, Laurie Strode is still Jamie Lee Curtis, Dr. Sam Lewis is Donald Pleasance. Mr. Brackett, the sheriff, is Charles Cyphers. Michael Myers, who is known as the shape in these credits, is Dick Warlock, who played the patrolman in the third Halloween. Uh-huh. He is a stuntman with 213 stunt credits. Hot damn. <laughs> he put on the mask for the audition and just stood there and refused to answer or speak. And they were like... <laughs> You're it. You're higher. <laughs> they, there is also credit given to Nick Castle and Tony Moran from Halloween 1 because they used that same footage from the first one to kick this movie off. Makes sense. Finally, Jimmy the Paramedic is played by Lance Guest. He played on the Disney original uh, My Sister from Planet Weird and oh. Jaws the Revenge. Interesting. I knew I knew him from Jaws, Jaws Revenge, but I didn't know, I didn't realize he was my sister from planet weird but this movie got one win and three nominations so you know it wasn't as good as the first one by any means necessary but very brief synopsis for this movie yeah it picks up right where number one ended laurie strode is still in the house dr loomis is there you see it from the outside at the very beginning michael myers falls and then you see him get up and leave laurie goes to the hospital everybody there dies michael myers kills them all (laughs) And then Uh at the end, Dr. Loomis shows up at the hospital. There's a big fire. You presume that Michael Myers dies in that fire. Laurie escapes. The end. That's movie two. (laughs) We're really trying not to give it away, so you'll go watch it. (laughs) There's, I mean, there's like a lot in it, of course. But yeah, yeah. Where I'd rather talk about the other stuff than the actual synopsis, because you can go watch it yourself if you haven't already. So there are a couple more deaths in this one compared to the first one. Um, And no, they are not all babysitters, obviously, in this one. I mean, nurses are kind of babysitters. (laughs) They babysit the patients. So you get Ellen, who stabbed the innocent teenager teenager in the same mask, who gets hit by a police car, and burns to death, which is technically Dr. Loomis's fault. Good job. Uh, The security guard, Mr. Garrett, dies. (laughs) He's hammered in the head and hung. The year, obviously, the other paramedic man dies, who's not Jimmy. The pediatric nurse is drowned in the scalding hot therapy pool, which would suck. <laughs> Dr. Mixter is found by a nurse stabbed in the eye. The nurse who found him has uh, gets a needle to the temple with and is injected with something that we don't know of. Is she injected or is she just stabbed? 
I'm pretty sure she's injected, but it doesn't actually show. I can If tell. I remember correctly, it's... I need to. I need to rewatch that like specific scene to know. I watched an awful version of it, but I, I'd have to go back and watch it. There was another nurse who was extinguished in the surgery room. Exsanguinated. Exa- yep, you're right. The blood. The blonde nurse. The blood nurse. Okay, now I'm just thinking of blood. <laughs> <laughs> the blonde nurse is stabbed in the back uh, with a scalpel, and then the police officer who is who is the escort for Dr. Loomis, his throat is slit with a scalpel, and everybody dies super easy. As so, again. one of the deaths that I didn't list it because I wasn't sure, the paramedic, uh, Tommy, is that his name? No. Jimmy. Jimmy. Is he actually murdered, or did he just pass out? Because he runs to the car, and then he just, like, falls asleep. I'm pretty sure he just passes out. But again, clarification's not a thing. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure. If you know, listeners, let us know, because I, um, I didn't understand if he actually got injured and then died, or if he just kind of passed out. But as you can see for the second one, they strayed far from his murder weapon of a knife with that being said let's move on to some more details about michael myers that you don't know <laughs> is he a preferential serial killer because he has a chance to kill other people including um you know the older couple but he chooses not to so is he choosing his victims or is he just killing whoever he wants to i mean that's still still choosing but <laughs> in the well in the first one he's very preferential mm-hmm. right the babysitters beautiful yeah. young women and then the boyfriend he just kills because he gets in his way. Yeah. And then in this one, he's like all over the place. But like you said, he's only killing the people that got in his way in the hospital or that he saw as being in his way at the hospital. Right. However, that hospital seemed very empty. And I feel like he could Terrible hospital. <laughs> he could have waltzed in in his janitor outfit, murdered Lori and walked out without having killed anybody else. And his job would have been done. More than likely. So that's just an interesting note. He doesn't use a knife so much, but more kind of opportunistic and random things. So he he strangles more often. He's drowning. Um, he's using scalpels. So and then there's that one randomly artistic one where he took the time to strap a nurse down and then stick a tube in her vein and have her bleed yeah. out. Like it's I don't know. It's weird. He's all over yeah. the place. Yeah. That's we don't know. Yeah. You don't learn anything. <laughs> that's kind of like about the difference him. that we really get. Yeah. Exactly. Except, and I can't believe we've left this out of the synopsis, <laughs> he, it's revealed in this movie that he is Laurie Strode's brother. Yeah, yeah, sorry, forgot to, big, big <laughs> part of this. This is where the idea of, of Michael Myers being the older brother came into hand, because originally this idea of Halloween was supposed to be different stories each time. It's not supposed to be Halloween, Michael Myers, and then in Halloween 2. This was originally be halloween with this guy as the shape as a killer as a babysitter killer and then the second one's supposed to be a whole different idea like a whole different movie but michael myers was so incredibly popularized at that point so many people loved the idea of him that they that john was just like okay well i guess we'll do halloween too and we'll go with michael myers again so john carpenter did not want this he had nothing to do with it they said we need you to do this movie and he was like fuck it fine and then they made him do the family sideline thing to tie them together exactly it is presented that laurie was like an infant when he murdered his sister and then his parents died a year later and she gets adopted yeah by the strodes and then that was kind of just accepted as canon despite john carpenter's wishes (laughs) right 
Because he hated that because it humanized Michael. And exactly. That's what he didn't want. That's 100% what he didn't want. So uh, in the movie, he writes Sam Hain on a chalkboard at some random mm-hmm. moment. Dr. Loomis describes Sam Hain as a Celtic word. He like walks over to the blackboard and he says it means the Lord of the Dead, the end of summer. The festival of Samhain is October 31st. Yep. And then he goes on like this little tangent. Yeah. <laughs> because he's the only one with any real lines in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Literally, Lori is just going, ah, 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 or what? Who? Like the whole movie. She has mm-hmm. three full sentences. In order to appease the gods, the druid priests held fire rituals. Prisoners of war, the insane criminals, animals were burned alive in baskets. Sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. By observing the way they died, the druids believed they could see omens of the future. 2,000 years later, we've come no further. It isn't evil spirits, not ghosts, nor goblins, nor witches. Sam Hain is the unconscious mind. We're all afraid of the dark inside ourselves. Ba, ba, ba. So I was like, Google? History.com. Google? <laughs> uh, so everything I'm about to say basically came from History.com. Uh, Samhain is a pagan religious festival originating from an ancient Celtic spiritual tradition. It was pronounced as Samhain and is usually celebrated from October 31st to November 1st in order to welcome the harvest and usher in the dark half of the year. Yep. During this time, they believed that the barrier between the physical world and the spiritual world are weakened. And there's more interaction between humans and people of the other world. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to uh, Dia de la Muertes. Yes. Um, it just lasts longer. It's like the same ideas. So originally, ancient Celts marked Samhain as the most significant of the four quarterly fire festivals taking place in the midpoint between the fall equinox and the winter uh, solstice. During this time of year, Hearth fires in family homes were left to burn while the harvest was gathered. After the harvest was completed, they celebrated with Druid priests by lighting a community fire using a wheel that would cause friction and spark flames. The wheel was considered a representation of the sun and used along with prayers. Cattle were sacrificed and participants took a flame from the communal bonfire back to their home to relight their hearse that they had let burn down. I didn't find anywhere where it talked about them sacrificing people. I'm not saying it didn't happen. But that's the one variant from what Dr. Loomis said that I couldn't find. Right. Uh, Early texts present that Samhain was a mandatory celebration lasting three days and three nights where the community was required to show themselves to local kings or chieftains. Failure to participate was believed to result in punishment from the gods. Basically, you would be struck down with an illness and or death. They would be smitten, smited, <laughs> smited, smitten, smod, spa, smog. They'd be smogged. <laughs> uh, they prepared offerings that were left outside villages and fields for fairies, which are a totally different realm of stuff that I don't even understand. But it's awesome and dark. Mm-hmm. Very dark. Um, it was expected that ancestors might cross over during this time as well, and Celts would dress as animals and monsters so that fairies were not tempted to kidnap them. So fairies kidnap. While your ancestors were coming to visit, you had to disguise yourself as a, a tiger and go, Row! so that the fairy wouldn't take you. 
Right. Some specific monsters were associated with the mythology surrounding Samhain, or Sawin, including a shape-shifting creature called a puka, mm-hmm. which sounds... Makes you think of the little dog from Anastasia. Yeah, a little puka. Yeah. Little puka. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, give him a... You need- yeah! And the you high need- sir. And my geeker, sir. Uh, <laughs> you need- <laughs> Uh, so Puka receives harvest offerings from the field, and the Lady Gwyn is a headless woman dressed in white who chases night wanderers and was accompanied by a black pig. Mm-hmm. So that sounds t- terrifying. Some some of the Lady Gwyn is known to be part of the lore of the woman in white. Oh, okay. I was wondering, but I, <clears throat> I didn't want to say for sure. Yeah. Does the Lady in white also have a black pig? Uh, no, not that I know of. <laughs> okay. The Dullahans sometimes appeared as impish creatures or headless men on horses who carried their heads, so like a nearly headless Nick in their headless mm-hmm. hunt. Yeah. Riding flame-eyed horses. Terrifying. They, uh, their appearance was a death omen to anyone who encountered them, so kind of like a Sleepy Hollow vibe. Yeah. A group of hunters known as the Fairy Hosts might also haunt Samhain and kidnap people. Similar right. are the Slog, who would... Come from the west to enter houses and steal souls. Everything, Good thing I'm a redhead. I don't have a soul. Everything Suckers. about this is awful. Yeah. <laughs> they like show up and they're like, but sir, I can't find it. Fuck, there's a woman here. She's redhead. She's redhead, sir. They don't have souls. It must have already been taken. They're like, newbie. <laughs> <laughs> this dumbass. That's how they um, haze the new guys. <laughs> Send them into a redhead's home. And then they'd sit outside and snicker. As the uh, Middle Ages came aboot, uh, so aboot. did the celebrations of the Fire Festival. So it started to like shift. Bonfires, known as Sam, uh, which were more personal Samhain fires near the farms, became a tradition. So instead of doing like giant bonfires and then little ones in your house, they start each farm would kind of have like their own big one. They were said to protect families from fairies and witches. They carved turnips called jack o' lanterns. Yep. Which, as we now know, became a thing. Attached by strings to sticks and embedded with coal. Later, Irish tradition switched to pumpkins. This is why if you ever watch Trick or Treat, you're not supposed to blow the the candle out in your jack-o'-lantern. Halloween also has this weird tie to jack-o'-lanterns and pumpkins. Yes. And I love, at the beginning of the second one, uh, during the title sequence, the pumpkin... I don't know if it opens or if you just view inside it and there's like a burning skull inside. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also the image you get when Myers is burning to death at the end. Yeah. Because the pumpkin's a mask. <laughs> Getting it. I haven't seen the third movie yet, so don't. Okay. We're good. We're good. It's fine. Everything's fine. Whales, men tossed burning wood at each other in violent games. So Roman candles. <laughs> 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 yes, exactly. In northern England, the men paraded with noisemakers. It sounds like the 4th of July, but coming around to Halloween. The tradition of dumb supper began, in which food was consumed by those who celebrated, but only after inviting ancestors to join it. So this is where, like, a Dia de la Muertes kind of comes in. Yeah. Giving the family a chance to interact with the spirits until they left following dinner. Children would play games to entertain the dead. Creepy. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ring, they would play Ring Around the Rosie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. So the, bad. So bad. Before that time, I think. Oh, way before. Uh, adults would update the dead on the past year's news. That night, d- 
doors and windows might be left open for the dead to come in and eat cakes that had been left for them. Hmm. Or homeless people. That's fine. <laughs> or the Halloween version of Santa Claus. Jack. Yeah. Skeleton. Skellington. Yes. Skellington. I almost called him Skeletor. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> Skeletor is not the same person. So Christian Samhain, the church leaders that eventually ended up taking over these areas were like, how do we get these paganistic rites and rituals out of our land? Because we take everything over and we're moving on. Church leaders attempted to reframe the traditional Samhain as a Christian celebration, so they were like, we're just going to take this from you. The first attempt was by Pope Boniface on the fifth, oh, sorry, in the 5th century. He moved his celebration to May 13th, and specified it as a day celebrating saints and martyrs. The fire festivals of October and November did not end because that had nothing to do with their celebration. Exactly. Everything about their celebration of Samhain had to do with, like, an in-between. Yeah. Right? It's between... Fest uh, it's between the winter solstice and the... Uh, it's between the seasons. It's yeah. between the worlds. It's in the shadow and a doorway and all the, the in between references of fairies and the in-between but fairies in, in like actuality and lore they're actually creepy as fuck they're very much like the magician's version of the fairies if you've never watched that show in the ninth century pope gregory moved the celebration back to the time of the fire festivals but declared it all saints day on november 1st all souls day would follow on november 2nd don't know the difference between those or what they have to do with samhain but sure Halloween begins. Um, so October 31st became known as All Hallows Eve or Halloween and contained much of the traditional pagan practices before being adopted in 19th century America through Irish immigrants bringing their traditions across the ocean. And of course, because we're Americans, we bastardize everything and make it about candy. Yep. So trick or treating <laughs> is said to have been derived from ancient Irish and Scottish practices in the nights leading up to Samhain in Ireland. Mumming was the practice of putting on costumes. Going door to door and singing songs to the dead. Cakes were given as payment. So, the Halloween version of caroling. Yeah. But people enjoyed it. I don't enjoy caroling. I don't either. Halloween pranks also have a tradition in Samhain, though in the ancient celebration, tricks were typically blamed on fairies. Because fairies are bastards. <laughs> um, it's like the little elf on the ship. A little bit. So then there's the Wiccan version of Samhain, which began in the 1980s with the growing popularity of Wicca, which we talked about in our Practical Magic episode. Wiccans look at Samhain as the passing of the year and incorporate common Wic and incorporate, sorry, common Wiccan traditions into the celebration. I don't know what those traditions are, although I feel like I should. In the Druid tradition, Samhain celebrates the dead with a festival on October 31st and usually features a bonfire and communication with the dead, which we talked about. American pagans often hold music and dance celebrations called witches' balls in proximity to Samhain. Pagans <laughs> who embrace Celtic traditions with the intent of reintroducing them are known as Celtic Reconstructionists. So there's like a group who are trying to bring back these original ideas and say, y'all fucked it up, you ruined it, this is how it's supposed to be, let's bring back the tradition. Mm -hmm. So in this tradition, it is called Oichishumna? Not at all what it's called. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> um, 
but it celebrates the mating between Ta- Tuatha, that is the evil witch in a Charmed episode, the fiery mm-hmm. red hair, Tuatha, mm-hmm. okay, De Danin God's Dogda and River Unis. None of those names were pronounced correctly. Sorry. Celtic Reconstructionists celebrate by placing juniper decorations around their homes and creating an altar for the dead where a feast is held in honor of DC's loved ones. I like that, though. So everyone except for Americans uh, celebrate this tradition as like a remembrance of those who have died. And they're like, yes, we love you. Remember you. And we in America are like, fuck y'all. I'm going to spend Give money. us candy. Yeah. So that was a really long tangent for that Samhain part, but I just wanted to expand. It's very interesting. It's really weird that he threw that into this movie because it has nothing to do with this. This is the day after Halloween, but I think it just is one. It's just so Dr. Loomis can have something to talk about. Um, and two, it does show that Michael Myers is smarter than people give him credit for. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's meant to explain the jack-o'-lantern, but not really. Taking it back to Halloween, two the movie so theories of halloween for the first two movies so the first theory that i found is that michael is a tethered in relation to the movie us which came out last year 2020 right no it came out 2019 2019 so followers of this theory argue that because he relentlessly pursues his victims and he has a lack of verbal skills that he is one of the doppelgangers from the Jordan Peele movie Us. Mm-hmm. Additionally, Michael's tethered-like outfit, the weird ticks that he has, and the underground passages between the Myers residence shown in Halloween Resurrection, which we do not know about yet in these first two movies, so I was kind of on the fence about whether to talk about this theory or not, but I was like, meh, why not? It's believed that the tethered Michael either killed or switched places with the six-year-old Michael and basically went on a murder spree. Jordan Peele has been like, no, Michael Myers has nothing to do with this movie, except that maybe he wasn't like this movie in general was an inspiration. But I think in general, Jordan Peele's like, no. no. <laughs> yeah. So the first movie promotes the idea that Michael, Michael is killing young women who partake in premarital sex, which no, um, it, it's not because Lori is completely opposite of that. She's well, like the goody good. They're arguing that the reason she survives is because she... Oh is celibate to this point no no No. (laughs) Um, even Um, jordan carpenter has come out to be like no john sorry jordan peele john carpenter (laughs) i just i know i know uh, yeah i know (laughs) but yeah yeah even john carpenter was like no he definitely doesn't like women and it's probably some sort of an idea that's unclear like that they're unclean or something but it really doesn't have anything to do with the celibacy and then you see in the second one, we don't know if all of those nurses were. Un- yeah, he's killing all of these people anyway. And so. Yeah, and there's. Also, uh, Dr. Loomis is the same Loomis from the classic Psycho. So in Psycho, Sam Loomis sees pure evil in Norman Bates. And the theory says that in- uh, encountering Bates sparked a, despi- uh, or a desperate need to understand and stop such inhumanity, leading him to become a psychiatrist. So they're trying to almost like link Dr. Loomis's. Person, persons together from Psycho. I mean, it's a this. cool idea, and it fits. Well, it's also the idea that Dr. Loomis made Michael a murderer. So uh, it's more apparent in the later films that he took advantage of the possibly mental fragile state of a six-year-old and conditioned him to be this murderer instead of actually trying to help him. 
And there's more theories, but they don't apply to these two films, so we will save those for when we cover the next ones, which we're trying to do all of them before Halloween kills. But we're spreading them out so we don't have another conjuring match. Just, yeah. Oh, I know I have the hiccups. <laughs> Fun behind-the-scene facts. Originally, it was banned in Western Germany and Iceland due to the graphic violence and nudity. A 1986 re-release was also banned in Norway. So the mask that Michael Myers wears is the exact same mask as the first film. Mm-hmm. It just looks different in the sequel because the paint had faded uh, and it had been like roughed up a little bit. <laughs> And Mm -hmm. that was because Nick Castle, the original Michael, kept it in his back pocket during shoots. So it got, you know, cracked and stuff. (sighs) Not taking care of your shit! That drives a costumist crazy, just letting you know. Deborah Hill kept the mask under her bed for several years until the filming of Halloween 2, causing it to collect dust and turn a little bit yellow uh, because she smokes. (laughs) Gross. See, you're not taking care of your fucking costumes right. That drives me crazy. Additionally, the mask appears to be like wider and bigger because uh, Warlock is shorter and stockier than Castle. And Warlock, reminder, is the one who plays him in the second one. Um, so the mask fit his head a little bit differently. As the producers thought it would be the final sequel in the series, <sighs> 10 movies ago, mm-hmm. they let Warlock keep the mask, scalpel, boots, jumpsuit, and knife that were used in the film. When they decided to revive Michael in Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, the 88 version, the producers realized that was a major mistake because they could never get those props back again. (laughs) So that's why the mask looks very different in later versions. Mm -hmm. But also I think it's people trying to make it their own. But yeah, I guess now it's kind of illegal to take stuff off of sets. Like people have gotten in big trouble for taking props off Ryan Reynolds. John Carpenter and Deborah Deborah Hill had no interest in making a sequel as they believed that the original Halloween in 1978 was a standalone movie, and it should have been. (laughs) As Katie has said multiple times, and we agree. (laughs) Yeah. When the studio offered them more money to write the script, Carpenter took the job so he could earn back what he believes was his owed pay. At the time, Carpenter had seen little, like, earnings from the original movie and he admitted that he received a significant back-end salary much later. However, the script was not forming out as well as he thought and he was personally stated that or he has personally stated that the only thing helping him through the screenplay process was a six-pack of Budweiser every day. Hey, I like Budweiser. Me and John Carpenter are cool. Yeah, but you don't um, need to drink a six-pack every day. You're right, and I don't. I actually don't. I don't drink Budweiser anymore all that much cuz it's watered down beer. But Nevertheless, uh, this is uh, what led to what he believes an inferior script and and bad choices in the movie story. In the movie story, he later called Halloween two an abomination and a horrible movie. <laughs> Which I think is why he's very excited to be on these new ones, uh, because this, he wants it to end. Yeah, he made sure to burn Michael Myers to a crisp in the final of Halloween two. The, the studio still wanted to continue the series, so Carpenter decided to turn it into an annual anthology instead, which with each entry telling a new story. So basically his death would end up leading to another idea. People just did not accept that because, Mm-mm. as we'll talk about in the next 
um, installment of our Halloween series. Everyone just keeps trying to create theories to combine all of these movies, which is why I think they eventually just end up continuing with the one and two storyline because mm-hmm. people just could not accept that Michael Myers had different storylines or something. Like they just couldn't accept the anthology. Yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis had shorter hair or something at the time, so she had to wear a wig through the entire second movie. <laughs> That's awesome. This is the only Halloween film to show the morning after the 31st because every other movie ends on Halloween night. So this is the only one you'll get where it's November 1st. They should have called this the next day. (laughs) (laughs) After Halloween. Pamela Susan Shoup, who played the nurse who got horrifically drowned and Mm. burned to death in the hot tub therapy pool thing, she apparently had a big issue doing that scene. I guess she cried on the drive to the set the day that she was supposed to film that scene because she was really uncomfortable with being nude. And originally, the director for the second film did not have as much nudity or gore, but Carpenter was like, listen, times have changed. People want more. You have to add it. So mm. that they did. She ended up saying, and I quote, I agreed to be naked only from the waist up, but when we were shooting, the director said he needed me to disrobe to get into the hot tub. He said that it wouldn't be seen on screen, but the camera angle was too difficult to get the shot otherwise. So basically, they wanted her out of her panties and skivvies and everything. And she was like, mm-hmm. that is not what my contract says. Um, she says, I understood what he meant. However, it was not in my contract to do that. And I was afraid the discarded footage would appear somewhere. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. So I refused. Deborah Hill was on set and agreed with me. She stuck by me. And in the end, after calls back, after calls back and forth with my agent, I wore a sort. Um, she basically just wore like a nude thong. Yeah. And was not naked. I can tell that the scene took two days to shoot and I cried all the way to work the second day. It was hard. Mm. I can't remember where I read this, but I came across this as well. The director did come out and say like yeah that happened but in solidarity myself and some of the crew also got naked so she didn't feel as awkward i don't know if that's true or not uh pamela shoop says it is not and she was the only one naked and it made her uncomfortable i don't know that that would make me any more comfortable having the director be naked or like somebody else like that be naked on scene with me just because like that's still fucking awkward (laughs) i would have a harder time acting uh, because i'd be so distracted i'd be like don't look over except you wouldn't want to look at the camera you'd be like look anywhere but there please dunk Mm -hmm. my head in this scalding water yeah deborah hill tried to be like very gung-ho for these women that are in these movies but like i said they still don't have big parts they are very much the typical horror female tropes Dana Carvey from Wayne's World. He's the blonde one with the mm-hmm. long hair and the glasses. He's also the master of disguise. Yes. I'm going Dirtle. to be a master Dirtle. of disguise. I'm going to be a master of disguise. I need to watch I, that movie. I love that movie. It's a terrible fucking movie, but I love it. Uh, he is in the background during the news crew scene when they are bringing the bodies out of the, the babysitters out. And he's going, am I not turtly enough for the turtle club? <laughs> sorry exactly he's in disguise (laughs) he's the master of disguise but not so great that we didn't see him right they did make a book 
of this film, and it was published in 81. It was written by horror sci-fi writer Dennis Etchison under the pseudonym Jack Martin and became a bestseller. The start of each of the characters, I'm sorry, the start of each of the chapters in the book were lined with captioned black and white stills from the movie. I need to go find this book. The book for the first movie is written by Curtis Richards and published in 1979. The most obvious references to that book are the neighbor appearing from a house near the Doyle residence and speaking to Loomis. And that includes the part where he says, you don't know what death is. And Mm. that stuff, like, it's kind of, like, verbatim from the book. So, basically, John Carpenter was like, fuck this script. And just copied that over. The budget for this one was $2.5 which is wild compared to the first movie. Mm -hmm. They considered doing 3D effects, but ultimately decided that it would ruin, like, the creepy factor. Plus, I would agree. (laughs) I don't think 3D was as put together at that point in time. Definitely not. Um, but they made a good choice because it made over $25 million total. There are true crime ties to Halloween 2. It became the first movie to be used as evidence in a murder trial, which is really interesting. On December 7th, 1982, in Fullerton, California, Richard Dahmer Boyle, Boyer, I'm sorry, Boyer, murdered an elderly couple, Francis Herbert, uh, Harbitz, who was 67, and Aline Harbitz, who was 68, by stabbing them 43 times. basically this is what could have happened at the beginning of the second movie but didn't (laughs) yeah according to the trial transcripts they were found by their own son when they were uh, when they didn't answer their phone so their poor son found francis who is the father he was sitting upright against a bloody hallway wall he had 24 stab wounds to his neck upper and lower chest and back Three of his ribs were fractured by being stabbed with a knife in the back. He also had a broken arm. He had a severed left carotid artery and three penetrating stab wounds to his heart, one of which severed his ascending aorta, which is huge. Mm -hmm. Cause of death was determined to be bleeding to death from wounds to his heart and aorta. That is like a wild amount of stab wounds incredibly violent yes and strong because he broke ribs cracked ribs and something to Mm -hmm. that effect eileen's body who was his mother was found lying in a pool of blood on the floor of the living room she had received 19 stab wounds to her neck chest abdomen and back one stab to the abdomen transected her left lung four times oh Uh, basically the coroner thinks that he stabbed once and then hit that exact same stab wound three more times Uh, a wound beneath her left ear penetrated to her spine and one of the chest wounds got her ascending aorta as well she too was believed to have bled to death they think he used his own buck knife which he brought to the scene himself and not the kitchen knife which was readily available on the counter william was actually the one to introduce boyer to uh to them and he did work or he did yard work for them. Turns out the couple were just amazingly kind and tight and tried to help Boyer up and tried to help Boyer by lin- uh, lending him money and giving him food. And I don't know if we said earlier, William is the son. So yeah. he introduced this man to his parents and I'm sure he just lives with that guilt every day. Yeah. During the trial, he claimed to have been suffering from hallucinations brought on by viewing Halloween 2 while under the influence of drugs. Um, you know, that... Drugs cause hallucinations. Do you know that? Yeah, apparently. Hmm. 
Boyer says he and a friend were driving around high on PCP, cocaine, marijuana, and alcohol. Go figure they were hallucinating. As one um, does. Yeah, on drugs. Uh, but they were begging people for money so they could buy more drugs. Go fucking figure. That's a I'm like, how were these guys driving? Yeah, dude, that's a they that's a joke. PCP, up. marijuana, cocaine, like all of that is just a reckless endangerment right there. I think I've, we forgot to mention this at the beginning, but all this info um, is pulled from a bunch of different sources because mm-hmm. there wasn't just one article that outlined this guy. So from the actual court transcripts and stuff, I got his friend's testimony. I don't think his friend was as fucked up as he was. He was still fucked up, but <laughs> I don't think he did as much cocaine and PCP. Not that that makes it any better. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, that's probably how he was lucid enough to drive around. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he, I guess they had been looking for William, and that's how they ended up at the couple's house in the first place. So, you know, that's unfortunate. You're like, hey, bro, I need money for drugs. Um, cause that's so let me kill your mom and dad. That's what, that's what my friends ask me for. Yeah. While in the home, he says he got one of those headaches, which he had on and off for some years during these episodes. He, he did not like being around people and felt prone to anger easily. So it sounds like he so, would get some nasty, probably either dehydration or mm-hmm. what are they? Fuck. My brain is not working. What is it called when you come down off of drugs? He crashed fucking hard. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, there we go. There we go. (laughs) After being invited into the couple's home and offered food, he was out the door when he noticed a wallet. His crantrip... His his crantrip... His... (laughs) (laughs) It's early. His transcript said he felt he was part of Halloween too because the events kept changing speed and items inside the house became distorted. Well, that's what happens when you're on drugs there, buddy. Uh, in later interviews done in 1982 and 1983, he recalled only that he grabbed Eileen and that Francis came down the hall saying, what's going on here? And that he had no memory of pulling out his knife or stabbing. And he remembered nothing else until he came outside ready to leave in the car. He did um, not remember stabbing them 40 something times. Yeah, no big deal. Oh, he just blacked out. Then in 1990, he said he was tripping and had actually hallucinated a man coming at him with a knife. How convenient to change your story. Mm, what do you know? Don't do a lot of drugs like that. Don't do drugs like that. Just and don't. then his poor friend that was driving him around uh, thought he was just going inside to get money. And then he comes out just drenched in blood. Yeah. I guess. So in the transcript, I don't know if this is in the notes later, so I apologize if I'm stealing it. But uh, in the transcript... The friend is like, yeah, he came out of the house acting perfectly normal, and he had a towel, and he was just like, yeah, we should probably leave. And then a, <laughs> he says a cop was driving by, so his friend turned, or Boyer turned, and started wiping the car with the towel, pretending like he was cleaning it, and the car just drove on by. So this guy was lucid enough to casually- To, like, evade cops and Yeah, shit. to, you know, casually walk out, clean himself off, clean off you know what you just said pretend to clean a car so if he was tripping and had like i don't know if you can just come out of a blackout like that and be perfectly fine i wouldn't know (laughs) he i mean even if you came out of a blackout and the first thing you saw was two brutally murdered bodies and blood all over your hands 
I, I feel like you wouldn't be that calm. Yeah, you wouldn't just be like, ah, another Tuesday. I'm making a, I'm making a towel. <laughs> I really want a coffee. I'm crashing. He did remember stealing and ditching their wallets, went home and burned his bloody jacket on the hibachi grill, but not in his bloody pants. Or not his bloody pants. So he still had his bloody pants. He just burned the bloody jacket. Which again, he had the forethought. And he was in the mind to go home and clean up and burn the sh- After the events and he got snatched up because he was stupid. He <laughs> was interviewed by a psychologist who believed that he had an antisocial disorder. Mm. He was just making things up. Oh, the psychologist also thought that he was just making things up or exaggerating the events of the murder by blaming it on drugs. So, you know, he was fully in the right mind to murder people, but he was just saying. He was, I think he was trying to play like the insanity plea kind of a thing. More than likely. But with drugs. The guy who drove him did say in court transcripts that Boyer had come out of the house very sober, very stable, and had a super clear mind. So he was like, I don't know. <laughs> and it seemed like he was tripping balls. Uh, since this Halloween 2 defense mm. was a big part of it, the entire film was screened for the jury during the trial. And some professionals said, yeah, I mean, I guess I can see where his hallucinations might be similar. But ultimately, they were like, it's a movie <laughs> and you murdered people. <laughs> yeah. My, I, I think it's interesting how they showed the entire movie to the court. I'm wondering who brought in the movie, if it was the defense or the other side, which I can't think of the Prosecutors. name. There you go. Because it could harm or help either side, I guess. Yeah. But also his hallucinations are very, the, he claims hallucinations, appear very mm -hmm. vague. Like, those are things anyone would hallucinate under drugs if you wanted to claim that. But yeah, could you imagine just being a juror and being like, watching this movie and you're like, is there popcorn? <laughs> can I get some popcorn with extra butter, please? Can I get raisinets? Also, a, a Coke would be nice. Um. <laughs> and you have to, like, maintain all this professional. And you're also sitting there like, the first one was better. What just right. happened? What the fuck? He's his sister. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait a second. This is not. This isn't right. You're like, um, can we watch the first movie? I'm missing some context. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, so Boyer's first trial in 1984 ended in a in a hung jury. He was subsequently convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to death. But in 1989, the state supreme court ruled five to two that Boyer's confession to police had been coerced. So as far as I know. He is still on death row, although he has been a highly discussed case of why the death penalty should be ditched in California because he has been waiting to be executed every day for pretty much like 30 plus years. Which is wild. Yeah. I, mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to, sitting, to be sitting on death row for 30 fucking years. Just, is it going to be today? No? Okay. I don't really know how that works. Like, if, if they have... Like, we're not going to get into a big ethical discussion, but uh, no. I just, <laughs> just the process. I don't know if they give you like a week's advance and they're like, hey, Friday's your day, my man. You're or dead. if they just wake you up in the morning, and they go, hey, today's the today's day. The, day. <laughs> the sun is shining. The tank is clean. And we are putting you to death. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> exactly. That's how it. That's how they do it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Um, I, yeah. But that's a little ridiculous he's gone he's like made appeals a few times or people have made appeals on his behalf 
to be like why is like he's not dead which to me is risky because then you remind them that he's sitting there and they're like oh yeah that guy's still there well if you're tired of waiting let's schedule you for next tuesday <laughs> like right but yeah bullshit why let's get this guy on finally when you think of death row um that's not you don't imagine them sitting there their whole life and then die. Mm-mm. like basically he just got a life sentence um yeah so it's an interesting debate anywho as we've mentioned earlier there are a bunch of different timelines that have been suggested for halloween movies because they are very variable <laughs> there's a lot and uh, they're all done by different people at this point <laughs> yeah there's tons of interpretations uh the john carpenter ones are different number three is just its own fucking world for a reason mm-hmm. um so screen rant proposes five distinct timelines for halloween so we will run through these i think this is where we will end this podcast this episode sorry mm-hmm. Because uh, it's been a long one. So the first timeline that Screen Rant proposes is the Curse of Thorn timeline. Kate, you can't see it, but Katie is you showing me. You cannot see it, but I actually have the Curse of Thorn tattooed on my right my right wrist, just like Michael Myers has. And you know what? Because I've never seen these movies, I definitely thought that that was just uh, like a simple icon for a tent on a map. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> No, this is literally the Curse of Thorn. Actually, I have it tattooed on my wrist right where he did. It's a, it's a lot thicker on mine than it is on his, for sure. So the original Curse of Thorn timeline basically takes on the first... Uh, it The movies follow like this. It's the first movie, second, skip number three, goes four, five, six. So it's like number three didn't even exist in these. <laughs> and this is, this is like the main timeline that most people actually know right now. Yeah, and that's how the one they go off of most of the time. Uh, this is considered the timeline which Michael seeks out his sister Laurie Strode and it kind of ends up segueing into Laurie's daughter because for this timeline the argument or the theory is that Michael has to kill everyone in his family or something like that. Is yeah, that, it's the curse of thorn. It's like it's a curse that's that's put upon you basically where you don't get a choice you just murder everybody in your family and you just like end the line so is the curse because again i haven't seen all these and we'll go over these so i'm just asking this very quick question is the curse presented in movie four the return of Michael uh, Myers? no it's not even you don't even see it until five okay the the rune that is on his wrist like mine you don't see that until number five so they did one two and four and then people were like what the fuck is happening with these movies so they were like you know what let's give them a reason so they invented the curse of thorn okay yeah Gotcha. The second timeline is no Michael Myers. He <laughs> <laughs> wasn't supposed to be at all. It's literally just the third one, which is Season of the Witch. It's the first attempt at making an anthology because, as Katie said earlier, John Carpenter, um, after number two, when they insisted on making more, he was like, fine, each movie will be its own thing. Kind of like how American Horror Story has each season as its own story. It was a great movie, but it didn't hit as hard because everybody wanted Michael to be a part of it, and he was he's, he's not. And it does have its own cult following, but it's not because it's Halloween. Correct. <laughs> Nancy, I think it's Keys. Or, uh-huh. She, I think it's Keys. She's the one who plays Annie in the first Halloween, 
She is also in Halloween 3, but she plays an entirely different character. Um, like American Horror Story, they reuse the same people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that also confused people because I don't think that was normal for those things. Like now we're used to seeing that and we appreciate those things. I don't think it was really common back then. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, but basically, that's it. Um, so it's not much of a timeline so much as it is, hey, they made this movie, but it doesn't belong. Yeah. So number three, uh, the, the timeline for number three is Laurie vs. Michael Myers in H2O timeline. <laughs> this movie is so weird, I think. <laughs> but basically, this one falls with Halloween, Halloween 2, then there's Halloween H2O, which is a 20 years later situation. So now you get you go from Halloween 2 to 20 years later. I think that's technically number 7, right? I think so. Okay. And then there's Halloween Resurrection. Um, in these movies, the action is geared solely around Michael tracking his sister, Lori, down and follows the typical back-to-basic storyline that mostly keeps with the tone of the original. So basically, it's like he's just going after his family again. But that one, again, that's just Laurie and Michael basically going at it. So it skips any sort of four and five because she's not a part of it and stuff like that. So. And then Katie's favorite. Oh, I love these. So you number can... four. Okay. So number four timeline is the Rob Zombie remakes. These, were, these came out in 2007 and 2009. Hi, Kitty. <laughs> and um, basically it was his idea to go back and try and remake the actual Halloween one. He actually didn't want to do Halloween 2, but number when number 1 came out, it was so big and he and like everybody loved it so much with the way that he did it that he did number 2, but even though he didn't want to. So just like John Carpenter, Rob Zombie did not want to remake number 2, but because it was so popular in 2007 when he did the first one, it was so good that everybody's like, "Are you doing number 2? Please do number 2." And he came out and he's like, "I don't want to, but I guess I will." And did it. I feel like what happens is the artists have a vision, and they're like, this is how it needs to end. But mm-hmm. then the production production companies and the bigwigs are like, but we could make so much more money off of this. Well, and that was kind of like the idea, because Rob Zombie puts a whole, like, backstory to Michael Myers as a child. And so you, you get, like, an, an idea of why he's so fucked up in the head and why he does these things. Rather than, like, in the original, you're thrown into a six-year-old killing a sister for no fucking reason. But that's also what... John Carpenter wanted. He didn't right. want him to be humanized. Because in that one, you you feel bad for Michael. You're like, oh, yeah. you poor baby. Like, you don't validate yeah. his murdering, but you're like, oh, okay, I get it. He's not just evil. I mean, that's the only version I had seen. <laughs> so Rob Zombie did a prequel and then an actual sequel. Basically. To the original. Okay. That's cool. Basically. I like that he made it his own. Timeline number five. <laughs> yes. This one is considered the reinvention timeline. Yeah. This includes the original Halloween, the 2018 Halloween by Blumhouse, and it will include the two new ones. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Correct. Um, it takes it way back to the original idea for Halloween. It is also the first time since the original sequence in 81 that John Carpenter is personally involved, as we've mentioned. Uh, he's an executive producer as well as a creative consultant. He is composing some of the music. That is it. So the next one will be f- four, five, and six. <laughs> yeah, it will. The next one will be four, five, and six so we can follow this and, and keep it kind of together a little bit tighter. Tell us your theories about Michael Myers. They can be extended beyond all of them. They can be which ones are your favorite. 
Yeah. All that jazz. Uh, our next movie. It has Sorry. been requested <laughs> that we start presenting which movie we're doing next so that people can okay. watch it before we listen. So I think it's a great idea. In this one event, we could tell you now because we already know. Uh, the next movie we're doing is Quarantine. It's a listener request. This is the 2008 version, not your real life journal from the last yeah, year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Between now and then, send us your movie requests, kitty cats, whatever. Your... Oh, no. Well, you can send us kitty cats, but I mean, we'll take the photos of kitty cats too. Your... I'm not going to say no to the kitten being sent to me. <laughs> Genius, misleading movie descriptions that went over my head. Oh, I found out who that was, by the way. A dead. Okay, well, as long as we it pronounce it correctly, A dead ninety five. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Um, but yeah, you can you can go follow us on Instagram or Facebook at horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. You can send us a Gmail with all your everything at yeah. horror cats witch hats at gmail dot com. She cut out a little bit, but it was horror cats witch hats at gmail dot com. And lastly, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, interact, and do whatever you do to wherever you're listening to this podcast. Wow.